the title of the message is Your Unshakable Place. Your Unshakable Place. And we've been studying about Mount Zion. We've been studying about your dwelling place. And today we'll, we'll, we'll have the last message in that series called The Unshakable Place. This, is, this message was so rich. This revelation has been growing inside me. And I think it will grow inside you as you see in the word. Where, where are you right now? You are in this place called Mount Zion that you are technically seated with. You are in Jesus. You are on this Mount Zion. which is. And if you, if you recognize this truth, a lot of the passages in the Bible that you would push to forward to the millennial time of Christ, it will start applying to your right now place in Christ Jesus. And that will become open and become more richer to you. Amen? So today we'll close with that session, and, but I'll go through some of the scriptures and and hopefully the, the, uh, the uh, you'll be able to see the truths in the word of God about your unshakable place. Today we'll talk about the, this place that you are in, Christ Jesus, is an unshakable place. We did dwell on it last time. Why, why is it important to know that this place, this Mount Zion, this city that you are in right now, you know something that you are not, you are a citizen not of the earth, you are actually now a citizen of a place called Mount Zion, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and you are in, you are with him, you are in the kingdom, you know. So, have you seen in these Olympics lately, a lot of the athletes, they get these medals, many of them, they train and they live in the United States. So, so they get medals, but they, but they, they have their flags of different countries. But they live here. But they are citizens of a different country. So they glorify in that country's. So every so you see people. So they'll say, hey, but he's from UT, Texas. But represents Canada. He is from U University of Oregon. But represents Singapore. You know, I mean, so they are represents different countries. But they are in a different place. So we are like that. We are here. But we represent a different country completely. And the country, the place is called Mount Zion, which is called New Jerusalem. And we'll study a little bit more about it, right? But before that, let me sh sh uh, show you something very interesting. Uh, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. You have the... Talk about... Wow, this is a big chapter, but um, it's talking about how God is saying that Israel does not have a... Israel is like scattered sheep. Now let's look at here. Let's read, let's read Ezekiel chapter 34 verses 1 to 10 and I'll read fast. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed them, feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep, a flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. Now listen to this verse 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered make sense when the sheep is scattered there's nobody to take care they become food for the beasts right 
So he says, my sheep wandered through all the mountains. On every high hill, yes, my flock are scattered over the whole face of the earth. See how God looks at people. He looks at them as sheep who are scattered all over the world. And the whole face of the earth. And no one is seeking or searching for them. Ah, look at the heart of Father God. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the voice of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord, surely because my flock became prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherd search for my flock, and the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because I am, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I, now suddenly God says, I will become a shepherd. Look at this. I will deliver my flock from their mouths and they shall no longer be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they are scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out. And I will, look at verse 14. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they will lie down in good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Verse 15. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down. Look at how many times he says I will make them lie down. Right? How many times? My, I'll make them lie down. I'll make them lie down. I'll make them lie down. And then look at this. And keep, he keeps reading and finally, 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 see, look at verse 29. And I will raise for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, nor bear the shame of the Gentiles anymore. Thus they shall know that I am the Lord their God, I am with them, and they, the house of Israel, are my people. You are, look at how he closes the chapter. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men and I am your God. What, is he, what does he say? He says when God becomes your shepherd, he says you are my flock and I am your God. That means who is responsible for the sheep now? God. God. Remember that is why Psalms 23 says what? Remember? God is my shepherd. Is my shepherd. I shall not God. want. Why I shall not want? Because God is responsible for me. If God is your shepherd, whose responsibility of your well-being? So if the sheep is not fed and not clothed and not supplied, whose problem? It reflects very badly on the shepherd. Right? Isn't that fun? That God says in verse 23, the only reason the sheep is scattered according to Ezekiel chapter 34 is what? Lack of the shepherd. Okay, come on. Now you all have to repeat this. This is very powerful. The only reason the, she the sheep is scattered is why? Because there was no shepherd. There is no shepherd. Is it the sheep's fault that they are scattered? There is no shepherd. So what does God say? No man is doing this job of a shepherd. I myself will come out and be their shepherd. Isn't it? Wow. Isn't that cool? So God is taking on the responsibility to clothe you, feed you, take care of you, prosper you, bless you, make you lie down on green pastures. Right? Go and read. Can you mark it in your Bible? Read Ezekiel chapter 34 in your quiet time. See what all the benefits of having a shepherd. Say benefits. Benefits, benefits of having a shepherd. Right? Because 
once God becomes your shepherd, then therefore you can say Psalms 23. See, you cannot say Psalms 23 if God is not your shepherd. See, all the benefits of Psalms 23, you know how Psalms 23 closes life? How does it close? Surely, God, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. You know how the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible talks about it? Surely. Wow. Why? Wow. Look at it. I mean, I can just feel the spirit of God resting on that place. Surely. Why surely? Man, this is not a man shepherd who is who's a shepherd. He is God Almighty who has decided to become your shepherd. Therefore, he can be sure that this shepherd will not fail. Amen? Surely, because this God is your shepherd. Surely what? Haseth. Haseth means mercy, grace. And Tov means goodness. Shall Radaf, shall hunt you down. <laughs> Radaf in the Hebrew Bible is hunt you down. Everywhere the word Radaf is used in the Old Testament, it is for somebody hunting somebody down. So he says, Hased and Tov will hunt you down. Oh, how, how, how often? All the days of your life. Say, Hased and Tov shall Radaf you. <laughs> He's writing some Hebrew here. Say, Hased. And Thoth will radaf you. So what is Haset? Grace means unmerited favor. Do you want unmerited favor? Hey, who doesn't want unmerited favor? Joshua, do you want unmerited favor? Hey, I don't work for it. Just favor follows me. Unmerited favor. That's called Haset in the Bible. That's called grace, right? Haset and Thoth. Thoth means goodness. Shall hunt you down. Because, surely, because why? God is my shepherd. Isn't it? So the only reason the sheep is scattered is because? Is because? There is no shepherd. Isn't it? So whose fault is it? Not the sheep's fault. Is this not? <laughs> if it's not a good shepherd. Now we, now we have a good shepherd, okay? Now we have a good shepherd. Therefore the word surely come, appears in Psalm 23. So surely, goodness and mercy follows me because now you... One thing is clear, you have a good shepherd. So the only now the only responsibility of the sheep is what now? Follow. He makes you lie down. Right? You don't even have to work. The other, on, on this road on Hebron Parkway, I go, I take and I take international. Where I turn on international parkway, there is a small green patch. So sometimes these, these companies, they put animals on these open green patches to get ag agriculture exemption so that they don't have to pay property taxes. You know, have you seen that, right? I mean, these are commercial plots, but there are animals there, right? I mean, they, who are they fooling, right? <laughs> but hey, the government allows that. As long as there are animals, it's agriculture, you don't have to pay property tax, property taxes on them. That's the reason, this is the reason um, they, they do that. Okay, so... Uh, so one day I saw these. Uh, the, I saw these. Uh, 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 Was it donkey? They, they just, they, these are cattle. So I always see these cattle. They are walking around. They are walking around. They are walking around. Okay. One day I was going by that road. As usual, I see these all these cattle sitting down. Right. And I was like, and God was telling me, you know, Anil, why they are sitting down? I said, why? Because they are satisfied. 
You see, you only die down when you are totally full. There is nothing to do. You are full, starved. Because if you have to eat, <laughs> have you seen cattle sitting and eating? You never see that. Have you seen that? Have you seen cattle sitting and eating? At least not in the cattle that we know. You know, when they are sitting, they are totally satisfied. When they are standing, they are eating. But when they lie down, ah, they are satisfied. What does the Bible say in Psalms 23? He makes me. So he's not like, hey, your quota is over, don't eat too much. You know? God is not like that. He says, you eat as much as you want and then you lie down. That means that he's a good shepherd who feeds you completely to your foot. Is that good? Is that good? Okay. So let me tell you a secret. Something very powerful. I think you'll love it. Go back to go back to Mark chapter 6 verse 34. We have not been started on the passage that you're supposed to do today, but, but this is something very powerful. Because even if you don't finish the chapter today, but I think these are some good nuggets that you will learn. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. chapter 6 okay you remember this uh, thing mark chapter 6 he just finished feeding the uh, he no not actually he's starting to feed the 5000 look at the, how the scenario is see whether he's a good shepherd remember the sheep scattered not fed not clothed look at the concept right now this is G, this is fulfilling ezekiel chapter 34 he said god himself said i will come down and be my shepherd there's this exact fulfillment. You want to see how correctly it fulfills? Look at, look at uh, is, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Then the uh, apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things which they had done and what they had taught. Now they had gone to all the uh, uh, cities and told uh, and taught the people, right? And he said to them, come aside by yourself to a desert place and rest a while. He's trying to get them to rest. He's a good shepherd, right? He's not making you work. Oh, this is God's ministry. Just work, work, work. No, 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 no. Come, rest a while. See how good this shepherd is? Right? Come, rest a while. Right? Very, we are like, oh, ministry, Christian ministry means die, burn out for Jesus, brother. Burn out. No, 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 no. no. Not, not, not the right shepherd. You're not in the right ministry. The right ministry is rest in Christ Jesus. Rest. Okay, look at this. And he said, come aside by yourself to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many going and coming and there was not even have time to eat. So they departed to a de deserted place in a boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They gathered before them and came together to him. And Jesus, verse 34. Can you read? Somebody read that. Wow. Let's hold this there. Look at that. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because... 
they were like a sheep not having a shepherd so jesus had great compassion for these people he's not looking at them as people with hey why are they not following rules he's like he's looking with these people with great compassion because he says what they were scattered in the other bible in the other uh, gospels it says they were scattered because they were like sheep not having a shepherd okay they were sheep not having a shepherd how does jesus solve the problem of the sheep not having a shepherd how does he do it next verse look at that when the day was not no let's at the end of that verse so he began to teach them many things so he began to teach them many things the way god gets god gets you to believe in this god of a shepherd and provide you provision see he could have done one thing right he the, these are sheep scattered he could have fed them or clothed them but what did he do first he taught them many things see if you want to be supplied under the shepherd you need to learn from jesus see he so according to jesus it's more important to be taught rather than to be fed because he knows if he if they if he can teach them how to receive they will receive their feeding they will receive their prosperity they will receive their health is that good the way he solves the problem of them not having a shepherd is by teaching them many things he taught them many things the bible says this you know brothers and sisters if you don't feel supplied in your life you if you feel hey i'm i'm lacking in my life rest at jesus's feet and learn from him learn not how he does stuff learn feed from him listen to what he's telling you like he will say i am a good shepherd come to me he says he teaches me and he provides so the way you get a shepherd is by listening to jesus listening to jesus because the sheep can decide i don't want this jesus as my shepherd right look at this so he begins to teach the many sheep and the, when the day was far spent his disciples came to him and said this is a deserted place and the hour is late send them away so why are the disciples telling them send them away correct the implication being there is no food or the implication being listen to this what the disciples are saying the hour is too late send them away what is the implication no the implication is there is no shepherd that is the reason jesus said no you feed them something to it no 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 hold it so jesus is a good shepherd if the disciples are telling jesus send the people away means what that means there is no shepherd So let me question. Jesus just saw that the sheep are scattered and he had compassion on them because knowing that they don't have a shepherd. So he started teaching them many things. So has the shepherd arrived now? Yes. What is he teaching them? He's teaching them what? What is he teaching them? He's teaching them the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> he makes me lie down. Remember in the gospels he says he makes them sit down in green grass. Look, there you go. Verse 39. He commanded them 
to make them all sit down in groups on the come on why should the Holy Spirit mention the color of the grass here why 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 is the detail important because it fulfills Psalms 23 he makes me lie down in green pasture yeah. so the Holy Spirit is like hint 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 your shepherd is here so when the disciples are telling send them away the implication is there is no shepherd yet should I, should I show you something very powerful in the Old Testament which validates this if there is no shepherd you have to be sent away should I show you this passage it's just one verse you will be blown away or blessed let's go to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 18 let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 18 Second Chronicles chapter 18 Second Chronicles chapter 18 So here is this king. Uh, let me set the setting. So this king of Israel and uh, the king of uh, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, they are both gathered together to fight against Ramoth Gilead the enemy of both Israel and Judah. See, for the first time, they come together. Now, the king of Israel is a kind of an evil guy. Jehoshaphat has, is a, 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 a king who walks in the favor of God. You know Jehoshaphat's story, right? I mean, major miracles. And so, Jehoshaphat is very close to God. So, the, so they both align to fight against their common enemy, uh, the king of, um, of against Ramoth Gilead, right? So now, so before they go to battle, the, Jehoshaphat says in verse 4, Jehoshaphat said to the king, please inquire of the word of the Lord today. I don't want to go into battle. I want to find out, is this is, is, is do I have favor, right? If I'm going to the battle, is, do you have a prophet around here? Because that's the principle. Hey, find out from the prophet if you're going to win. So he, so the king of Israel, he doesn't care for prophets and all. So he has all, you know, he doesn't care. So because Jehoshaphat says, he says he calls a prophet. And the prophet's name is... Um, Micaiah. So the prophet, he calls Micaiah, says, come bring Micaiah, the son of Imlat, quickly. And the king of, uh, verse 9, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on their throne, and they sat at the threshing floor at the entrance at the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. <laughs> all false prophets, right? I mean, the whole bunch of them, right? Uh, finally, then... Then the, uh, finally the, they said, uh, they, they, wait, they wait for Micaiah in verse 12. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him said, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord and encourage the king. That means all these false prophets are saying the same thing. You better also agree with them, right? And please, he's kind of preparing them. It's like these politicians, you know, when they, before they get the guys on the stage. Make sure you endorse the candidate properly, okay? Don't go and say some stupid things on the stage. We have spent a lot of money on this campaign, right? I mean, and they're careful nowadays. They vet everybody who sits behind, in the front, in the top, you know? So, so same case here. So, Mikai says, As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king, the king said to 
said to Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I refrain? Simple. All the prophets said, go fight against Ramoth Gilead, he will, y'all will win. All false prophets. And he said, and he said, go and prosper and they will be delivered into your hand. So he also said, okay, you want to hear, you want to hear a false prophecy? Okay, go, they will, you, you can hear what you want. So the, the king knew the way he said it. You know, he's like, okay, you want the Lord's word? Okay, what is on? You want, okay, go, done. So he knew, he's not like the, he's not uttering in tongues and then interpreting, you know. So he got it. He said, yeah, you're being sarcastic. So what he says, look at this. It's so beautiful, yeah, the way the Bible was written. Then he came and said, ha, verse 15. The, and the king said to me, him, how many times should I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Ah, see, how many times should I make you swear? Because now you're going to make him tell him the truth. And then he says, and then the prophet says this. Look at the words. This is so powerful. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as a sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Did you get it? What? What was it? I see Israel scattered as a sheep without a shepherd. Let them go to their house. Same thing what the disciples told Jesus. Send them away to their house. Why? There is no shepherd. If you don't have a shepherd, you are left on your own. See how Jesus immediately got it. He said, no, make them lie down. I, I am their shepherd. Amen? I am the shepherd. You are not on your own, brothers and sisters. You have a shepherd. See, God is your shepherd. You are not to be sent on your own. You are not supposed to fight these battles on your own. See, this is not your job. See, you are not clothed and you are bruised and you are not being taken care and you are suffering and you are sick and you have been struggling. It's not your, it's not your responsibility. Let me give you something good news. This is not your job. It's not the sheep's job to provide for itself. That's how the world thinks. Go to your own house. There's no shepherd. There has been no shepherd for 2,000 years till Jesus came. More even more longer. But since Jesus came, brothers and sisters, there is a king in our midst. There's a shepherd in our midst. And then there is Psalms 23. But do you believe it? That there's a shepherd in your life. You have a choice. I mean, you can live as if the shepherd is not around. Or you can believe Jesus' words and says, sit down. Let me teach you something. Let me teach you Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Guess what happens when the Lord is a shepherd? He makes me lie down on green pastures. He restores my soul. I don't have to go up and, oh, my emotions are, ah, ah, I have to take pills, hormones, hormone pills, sleeping pills. <laughs> my soul is all over. He says, he restores my soul. He says, is that cool? He restores your soul. My emotions are all over. He restores my soul. He's right. He's like, you know, some of the sheep, they are all over the place. And he tells the sheep, relax, relax, chill. Believe me, trust me. Everything will be okay. He takes the sheep. He leaves me beside still waters. Not even, not even 
turbulent waters, still waters. I mean, you don't be afraid of the waters, still waters. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 34, he rebukes other sheep who muddy the waters. You should read that. What do you mean muddy the waters? People who try to bring a lot of law and responsibility to receive from God. They are trying to muddy the water. Like, no, 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 no. You also have to fast. You also have to pray too much. You also have to do this. You also have to stay. Like, you are trying to muddy the water. Let the, let the sheep drink, brother. Let the sheep. So Jesus is saying, don't let, the, don't let them muddy the water. Don't try to mix law and grace and all that stuff. Just let them drink water. It's it's free. Then what? He leads me between still waters. Again fulfilling Psalms. Uh, Ezekiel 34. He restores my soul. He leads me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I, I fear no evil. Why? Your rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Means what? They beat me down? No. The rod and the staff is not for you. The rod and staff is for what? For the wolf. He's like, hey, my shepherd has the rod and the staff. He'll take care of all the sh- wolves. So I don't, it's not my responsibility to take care of myself. In fact, you know, this is powerful. When Jesus, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they were about to catch him, they came with weapons and lanterns and heavy duty armor. And they came in. And Jesus walked up to them and said, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. That's the name of God, Yahweh. The Yahweh God. Which Jesus is Yahweh, correct? That was the reveal. It was hidden in the old covenant. It is revealed. Yahweh, Jesus is Yahweh. The, whenever you see the word L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, capitalized, that's Yahweh. That is Jesus. So he revealed himself as Jesus in the new covenant. Correct? In the, in the New Testament. In, after Jesus came. So he stood up and said, I am. She said, that's Yahweh. That's, that's Yahweh. So immediately they fell down. Then again he said, who do you seek? He said, and he told them one thing. If you want me, you have to let them go. Ah, well, what is he doing? What is he doing? He's being a good shepherd. He's saying, what is he saying? And the Bible says, if you read John, that gospel, in uh, that incident, and in a couple of other gospels, he says, so that the saying may be fulfilled, what he said, that of all that you have given me, I have lost none. Let me ask you this. Is that a spiritual fulfillment or physical fulfillment? Of all that you have given me, I have lost none. Is it physical or spiritual? Trick question, right? What is it? Jesus, Jesus remember Jesus said in uh, John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, he says, of all, he, he's praying to the Father. He's saying, of all that you have given me. He just prayed that prayer in the upper room and then he goes into the garden of Gethsemane getting ready to be captured. He, he gave himself up, right? I mean, nobody can touch him. I mean, so many times they wanted to stone him. Jesus, they couldn't stone him. He would just walk in the midst of them. Why? Because he said, nobody can take my, my life away from me. I laid down by my choice, right? Right? I mean, you, just because you have stones doesn't mean you can touch me. So he had this power that he would not flee away from him. So he would walk in the midst means he is all powerful. Nobody can touch him. So he says that, he, and he just said, of all that your father has given me, I've lost none. So he, and he, and the Bible says, so that it will be fulfilled what he just said, that of all that the father has given him, he has lost none. 
Was it physical or spiritual? Spiritual or physical? Physical? Because in that context, wasn't it physical? Correct? Because he's protecting them that he will not lose any one of them to be captured. Isn't it? Isn't it physical? But it is also spiritual, isn't it? That means the Bible says, if he who puts his faith in Christ Jesus, the enemy cannot snatch him out. Even because of what stupid thing you will do. You say, no, but brother, if I confess that, if I say stupid things and I renounce Jesus, will I? Jesus says, nobody can snatch you out of my hand. Not even you yourself. Are you greater than God? In fact, that's how Jesus says, no one can snatch me, snatch you out of my hand. My father is greater than That means God, so are you great? That means if you can snatch yourself out of Jesus' hand after being saved, means what? That means you are greater than God. But Jesus said, nobody can snatch. That means my father is greater. Correct? Correct? So he says, so in that context of protection, it wasn't it physical? He said, I will, I've lost none. So Jesus is as responsible for your physical protection, brothers and sisters, as much as your eternal salvation. Isn't that good? That he's a good shepherd, that his staff protects you and keeps you right now. You don't have to worry and be tensed about, he, he's my good shepherd. He's my good shepherd. He's my good shepherd. Isn't that good? So, there you go. Okay. So let's go to a Hebrew uh, Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter 12, we, start, we continued that session last time and we just I'll just touch on it briefly. Remember he said, Hebrews chapter 12, Paul is saying, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and it burns with fire, with, you know, Mount Sinai. You have come to which mountain? You're calling this Mount Zion, which is mountain where God is, right? Where Jesus is, where he's surrounded by angels, with the blood of Jesus covers. You have not come to Mount Sinai where everything you touch, the law hits you. But you have come to Mount Zion. He says the Mount Sinai was shaking, was shaking, was shaking. But Mount Zion, unshakable. Correct? So you have come to a mountain that cannot be shaken. Right? Say not shaken. Not shaken. So when things are going to shake in the world, you don't have to worry about... You don't... Uh, when things shake in the world, you don't have to worry about it because... You are not on that mountain, Mount Sinai, which is shaking. You are not on Mount Sinai. Right? You are, you are on Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. Amen? Right? Good. Okay, let's read this. And uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25. Verse. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if you did not escape him who... Who's, if, you, if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth, how much more we will not escape if we turn from away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven, 
and this once more indicates a removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made and of the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Okay. So, Paul is saying there is a prophecy in the Old Testament which says once more God is going to share, shake heaven and earth. Okay, hold it. Guys, you all have to listen to this. There is a prophecy. And Paul is quoting this. Once more, God is going to shake heavens and the earth. Say shake. That prophecy is going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. God is going to shake heavens and the earth. So Paul is saying, only things that are made can be shaken. What is the implication? Come on, Josh. The question is, only the things, Paul says, only the things that are physically made can be shaken. That means what cannot be shaken? If only the things that are physically made can be shaken. Therefore, what things that are not made by hands, can it be shaken? No. That's the implication, correct? That means, he says, if anything is made by hands, the Bible says, it will be shaken. Correct? That means, everything in this world, your achievements, your, you know, anything with your hands, or your effort, or anything, anything, buildings, this building is made by hands, right? It's going to be shaken. Right? Every building is going to fall. That's the Bible's prophecy. Everything is going to burn. Everything. Everything. So, but so what will not be shaken is the things that are not made with hands. Correct? So what is not made with hands? What is not made with hands? Heavens. Angels. Spirit. You and I, your spirit. Correct? But if you are on the earth and you are part of this system but you are not part of God's kingdom, that city, remember Mount Zion is a city. It's a real city. Children, brothers and sisters, Mount Zion is a real place. I'm telling you, you might not see it. See, the things that you've seen are most of the time are going to be passed away. But the things that cannot be seen will remain. So things which are made without hands, Mount Zion will be shaken, will, cannot be shaken, correct? So he says we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You're going to receive a kingdom. So he, he quotes a prophecy, he says, once more I will shake heavens and the earth, correct? So he says, once more it's going to happen. It's going to happen when they, we don't know when. So the, so the question is, will believers be affected by that shaking? And the systems, the economics, the world, the things are going to shake. So should we be affected? Correct? That's the question. Let's go to Haggai chapter 2. Now where is Haggai? You can go and look at the index. You know, don't be ashamed to look at the index. Index is meant to look where Haggai is. Haggai is after Zephaniah. After Zephaniah and before Zechariah. Okay, Zechariah, Haggai chapter 6. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more. Uh, Haggai, Haggai chapter 2 verse 6. Did you get it? Index, index, index. Haggai chapter 2 verse 6. Did you get it? Everybody got it? Everybody got it? Okay. We'll do a little Bible study, right? It's no problem. Let's do some Bible study. Haggai chapter 2. For thus says the Lord of hosts. Now this is the word of God has come through prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. And he says, once more. Say once more. What does that mean? 
So it has happened once before, isn't it? Right? Once more means what? Means it has happened once before. Agree? English? Once more? So when did that before happen? So God did shake heavens and the earth before. When was that? No, Hebrews chapter 12. Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. So on Mount Sinai, heaven and earth shook. In fact, it shook so much. If you read Hebrews chapter 12, there was such, you know, one day, one day we should do this um, that documentary of where the real Mount Sinai is. It's powerful. It is in Saudi Arabia. You should see that mountain. You can go on Google map, Google, and you can see that mountain is black. Only that mountain is completely black, burnt. And rest all is different color. It's powerful and it matches everything of what happened on that mountain. You know, there's a cave for Elijah. There is, you should see the rock that Moses struck on between the water flow. Did you see that Did you see the video? How many of you saw the video? We showed it in the live team. It's this huge rock and it is split in the middle. And they have seen the, the, at the bottom of the rock, there is all water erosion in the desert. In Saudi Arabia, it is just next, very close to this Mount Sinai, which is pitch black, which is exactly where the Bible talks about. Mount of the rock in Horeb, where the rock was split. This huge rock was split from the top by God and water just flowed through the whole valley to feed the Israelites. Interesting. What I'm saying is that mountain was burned. It was burning from heaven. The, the fire came and the whole thing shook. In fact, Moses, I mean, he's like, he's like, like a friend of God, right? I mean, he said, I am exceedingly fearful. That's exactly what he used. And he said, he said that was a shaking, correct? So he says, once more I will shake, correct? See, once more he's going to shake. He's going to shake once more. Look at what he says. Once more, in a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. And I will shake all nations and they will come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. The glory of the latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord. And in this place, I will give peace. Is this a good shaking or a bad shaking? Is it a good shaking or bad shaking? It's a good shaking. What is this shaking doing? It is filling the temple of God with all the wealth of the nations and the glory. Right? So the Bible says this one more shaking is going to do. There'll be for the believers, you are a Mount Zion. What is going to do to that temple? It is going to fill with the glory of God. Amen? God is going to fill that temple with the glory of God. God is going to fill the temple with the glory of God. Did that temple get did did it get filled with the glory of God? Did that shaking happen? It did happen. You know when it happened? It happened on the cross. When Jesus was taking the punishment on the cross, did a shaking happen? Yes. Did anybody die in that shaking? Look at that. In the Bible, if you look at it, there was a big earthquake in the day when Jesus died, isn't it? There was a huge shaking that happened. Did anybody die in that earthquake? No, nobody died. The whole heavens and the earth shook. How do you know how, how big that shaking was? Last lifetime, we talked about that passage. The passage is what happened on the cross is in Psalms 18. Go and read it. What happened to Jesus? What happened was Jesus 
went to hell for you. He went to the very presence of hell. He, he was separated from God. And he cried out. Remember he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So where was he? Where was he? Where was he? Where was he? He was in hell. Because there's only one place where you're forsaken completely and separated from God. And that is hell. So when Jesus cried out, Lama, Lama, Eli, Eli, means God, my God. God. We never call God Eli. Eli. Eli is like the, not a covenant God. A God with whom he has no relationship. That's the name that he used. Because at that point of time, he was taking you and my disobedience and sins and everything. Remember, we are, God put everything on him. It's so powerful. And Jesus went to hell for you. He took all the punishment, all the anger of God the Father against him. And, and he cried out. You should, you should read it. I mean, I don't have the time because last time we went through that passage, you should read Psalms 18, what happened on the cross. He said, the Father God listened to his voice and came riding and split heavens and earth and shook and came and exalted Jesus from the very pit of hell and exalted him to the right hand of God. And what did he do when he did that? He created Mount Zion in one day. One day! You know, all this happened on the number of hours that he was on the cross and we did not even know it, right? Unless the scriptures opened up. That is why Jesus could say at the end, what? Finished! Why? If it is not finished, if the punishment is not paid and he is not exalted, he could not say that. That is why the Bible says, can a, a country be born in one, a nation be born at one day? Can Zion give birth even before it was in labor and gave birth? It's like, who has heard of these things? That means God says, he, you, it only happened for three hours, from six, from, from the third hour, from the third hour to the sixth hour, there was darkness on the earth, right? Nothing was, nobody could see what was going on. What was going on was Jesus was taking the punishment and going to hell for you. You should read two places in the Bible where this mention is. It's hidden, but it is there. Second Samuel chapter 22 and Psalms 18. You should read this whole passage. It talks about what happened to Jesus on the cross. It talks about what Father God read. It says he came riding on cherubs and rescued his son and said, and Jesus had died, right? On, because when you're separated from God, you know, you know, you, you know that. Spirits don't die. We all, nobody, no spirits die. Does spirits die? No. Many even says you shall die means what? What happens to you? You're separated, you go to hell. See, spirits don't die. We are, we are spirit beings. Spirit beings don't die. Wrong. Spirit beings don't die. None, none. We, are, we all have a place. Either we can decide to be everlastingly separated from Christ, from God, or be with Christ. Spirits, we cannot say, you know, some, some of the, a lot of people say, I don't care, I'm going to live my life the way I like it. My friends are there. <laughs> you know, there are people who live, really believe that my friends are there. You know, I don't know whether, you, you know, even your friends don't want you to come there. How do I know that? How do I know that? Your friends don't want you to come there. The rich man, when he died, Jesus, now does Jesus know what's going on in hell? He knows. And he, he told about an example of a rich man, a rich man who went to hell. 
And Jesus says, when he lifted up his eyes in torment, see how he wakes up? He wakes up with his eyes in torment. And he said, and he, then he's pleading out to Abraham. He's saying, let Lazarus come and dip his, tip of his finger in water and so, man, there's so much fire in hell. I mean, you should go and check on YouTube on the visions of hell. There are so many testimonies of people who have gone to hell. God has given them a vision. And some people who have been rescued from the edge of hell. You should read it. These are real. This is real. I mean, hell is real. He says, they just want some soothing because it's so dry out there. That is why Jesus on the cross said, I thirst. Because at that point of time, he was, he was taking what you deserve in hell. And he said, For Eli, Eli, what is, why are you forsaken me? Because Jesus was never forsaken by Father God. Never. Man, he is in the bosom of the Father. He's like the, oh, this is what the Bible says. I mean, there was, I, this can go in so many ways, but I would like to stick in one place. Jesus says in Psalms, in John, John chapter 17, The Father loved me before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? And he says the same love that the father loved me before the foundation of the world, he loves you. Okay, let me tell you this. Joshua, Rohan, for all of you, young guys, you old guys. God loved Jesus before the foundation of the world. Means what? What does that mean? What's the implication? What's the implication? What does it mean that, why does it, why is it important for Jesus to say that my father loved me before the foundation of the world? Do you know what the implication is? you know who made the world? Jesus. Jesus. The Bible is very clear on it. God, God had Jesus make everything. All things that were made were made through Jesus. And nothing, the Bible says, was made without Him. That means Jesus made everything. We know that because the Bible says, Yahi or, that is, let there be light. Yahi, the Hebrew word youth, hey, is Yahweh. The first word that God spoke was, Yeshua, go. So Yeshua went and Yeshua is Jesus. Yud, hey, is Jesus. That's the hidden worm in the Old Testament which has been revealed in the New. So Jesus went and created the whole world, right? So when the Bible says God loved Jesus, Father loved Jesus before the foundation of the world means what? Before Jesus has any accomplishments to his credit. Listen to this. Before Jesus had any accomplishments to his credit. When he had done nothing noteworthy. Nothing. Father said, I love you. And God says, I love the same love that the Father loves me before, before I did anything to show that I'm worthy of his love. The same love he loves you now. Isn't that cool? That means you don't have to do anything to deserve his love. That's how God loved the Father. The Father, Lord, Lord Jesus. Isn't that cool? The same love. So Jesus didn't have any medal to show. He didn't get any grades which are good. <laughs> he, didn't, he, he, messed. he didn't have any credits. But what did the father say? He looked at Jesus, his son, and said, I love you. You know what, what, what does that love do to you? What does that love do to you? When somebody loves you unconditionally and doesn't care whether you mess up or don't, and says, I love you, brother. 
And if a, if a father says to a son or a mother says to a son, or, or we tell to our children, and that's how we should love. He says, tell our children that we love them. And we should do because we are also, the, you know, we, we condemn others that they don't love us. But look at your own lives. <laughs> we don't love each other. We are like, hey, hey, you better prove your love to me, right? That's not how the father loved Jesus. You know, that is why even before Jesus had started his ministry, before he had even done one miracle, he, he, when he was at baptized, he had done no miracle. Nothing. He didn't do any miracle. The beginning of the signs of Jesus was in Cana or Galilee, right? He had done no miracle. He stepped into the water and what does the voice come from heaven? What, what is the voice that came? Okay. So this is my beloved son. Or is it you are my beloved son? Or what? Correct. See, it was a verse that the father was directly talking to this young man. How many years? 30 years old. Young guy, right? Very young man. Young man. He's a young guy, right? 30 years old. Come on, man. Young guy is 30 years. I'm like, touch, almost coming 40, 47. And it's like, still young, right? Are you still young? Okay, I've got a little bit of hair going on here. You know, somebody was telling me, hey, you have to color your hair black. I said, what I color now would be my scalp, not my hair. You know? <laughs> a carpenter, he has done nothing noteworthy for the father. Nothing, right? He has done no miracle. Nothing. And father looked down to his son and said, Hey, Jesus! He must have called my son. You're my son. You're my beloved son. I'm very well pleased in you. What does that do to you? You are my beloved son. There you go. And I'm fully pleased with you. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? That's how God looks at you. I'm telling you the same love. Say the same love. Same. Whether you believe it or not, that is the same love. Now you can decide, no, I just don't believe. Uh, I, I believe God is as harsh as, you know, people model God as how their parents behave to them and their friends behave to them. and You know what? But let me tell you, we are all fallen creatures. We are all, I, mean, I, I, make, I make a stupid father, you know. I mean, I don't know how to bring up children. We all don't know to become children, but God teaches us, correct? We are all fallen people. But the Father above has perfect love for you. Amen? And remember we just studied, he's a good shepherd, right? Once more, he will shake. But why, why am I going there? I don't know where we went there. I don't know where we took off from. <laughs> but it was good, right? <laughs> it was good. But he loves us, he loves us, and he... And he Why did we go there? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So the shaking happened at, on the cross. So finally, the father comes down to his rescue his son. Why? Because he was righteous, right? Because he was taking you and I's sins. But he finished paying the price. So what happened was in hell, he finally finished. So you think, no, Anil, it was only two or three hours. Seriously? 
You think God is bottled by time? You know, a lot of people who have visitations to heaven, they go for hours together, but then when they come back, they feel the clock is still like, you know, two minutes. You see that? A lot of the visions. Why? Because God lives outside time. So he suffered all the punishments in hell. And finally he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The moment he heard this voice, the voice cried out from heaven. And he, the Bible talks about this voice. He cried, God cried out from heaven. What is the voice? Psalms 2. Everything is there in the Bible. God says, Today, I have begotten you. Live! And God resurrected Jesus Christ. All happened on the cross. And he resurrected him. And what happened? We all got resurrected in our spirits. We have this place now God built called Mount Zion. Was resurrected and was resurrected at the right hand of God. So where is Jesus' body at this point of time? Where is Jesus' body? Still on the on the cross. Where is Jesus' spirit? Now with Jesus. That is why Jesus could confidently say after it was finished, saying that what? Huh? What is the exact word? He said, Lord, I commit my spirit into your hands. Why could he do that? Because now he is in the Father's head. Correct? He's already there because God resurrected him from death. And raised him up. It happened in one day, brothers and sisters. It happened in one day. What do you say? But, but he was there three days in the dead. What happened in three days is what Colossians talks about. And it says, he went down with his victory into hell and released all the guys. How can he release if the price has not been paid? You cannot release the prisoner. Somebody has to pay the penalty for their sins, right? Somebody has to pay. You can't just release anybody. You have to pay the price. Why? Because Jesus had already paid the price. He went and then he destroyed the enemy. In fact, the enemy was so confused. Read Psalms 18. Go and read it. He said, they didn't know what happened. They thought they got him. But they were completely destroyed. And the shaking happened. That is why that, that shaking, what happened was, God filled the glory of this house. Which house? This new Jerusalem that God built, he filled it. Because of that shaking that happened on that day, God filled that house with glory. Correct? Amen? So that shaking happened and God says, prophesy, once more I will shake, but I will fill my glory with glory, house with glory. And that filling of that house happened that day. Isn't that good? You know, interestingly, that is the reason. That is the reason why Jesus could tell to the which was on his right side or one side but what could he say to him he said today you will be with me where hold it Jesus is not resurrected yet today when not after three days today you will be with me where where what is paradise New Jerusalem Mount Zion. How do we know that? Revelation chapter 21. He says the paradise of God. That's where our father is. That's where Jesus is. So paradise was created that day. Yes. That place was made available that day. He says today you will be with me. Means what? Who is there? Father and Jesus is there. But he is not yet three days resurrected. Yes. But God resurrected him from the dead. From hell that day. How do we know that? Psalms 18. 
Did you know that? Did, did you know that when all this happened during the time on the cross? You should read Psalms 18. He says, God destroyed these uh, principalities and demons like thorns and bushes with fire. Consume them. Oh, this is so powerful. And you read Isaiah 10. He says how God, the, the king of Assyria, which is a type of uh, Satan, he said, Satan was so boastful. He said, God uses me like a weapon against his people because he's an avenger, right? But God says, ah, hold it. King of Assyria, he's talking to Satan. You should read Isaiah 10. He says, he says he's talking to Satan. He's saying, hold it. I know you're very proud. But wait till I finish what I've determined in Mount Zion. Hold it. So something happened. So on the cross of Calvary, which is Zion, God determined something and Satan had no clue about it. He said, wait till that happens. Guess what? I will turn on you then that day. And the moment Jesus took the punishment, God turned on the king of Assyria, which is Satan, and burned him completely. Very powerful. So today, we live in a state, in a place, in Mount Zion, which Satan has no access let me tell you, he does not have access to that place. That is why the Bible says, on Mount Zion, a wolf shall lie with the lamb. The lion and the kid, the kid can take a serpent. Why? Because nothing can hurt them on this holy mountain. See, Satan has no authority over you on this holy mountain. But you say, but Anil, I am on the earth. Yes, but you are not off the earth. You are in Mount Zion, seated with him in heavenly places. So you have authority. But you can hang around and believe that all these demons have authority over you. But he does, they don't. They don't have any authority. They fool you thinking that they have. But they don't. They don't. Okay, let's go here. And the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord. And in this place, which place? This place, Mount Zion, which was created because of the shaking. So what happened to this Mount Zion? So the Bible, Bible says, so now that, oh, this is so good. So in this place, I will give peace, shalom. That means God says in this mountain, there will be peace. Why? Because the penalty has been paid. Jesus has paid the price. There is peace right now. Amen? So the glory is here. This is the house that we live in right now. We are not going to live. We are already there. How do we know that? Hebrews chapter 12. We have not going to a mountain. We are already there. We have come, right? We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Right? Is it a little too much for you? No. You getting it? Okay. Okay. Now, see, now look at this. Now this is the best part. I mean there are so many best parts but <laughs> let me give you a little the biryani part of the buffet. Right? The biryani part is out here. If you like biryani this is it. <sighs> On the 24th day of the ninth month verse 10 in the second year of Darius the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. And he starts saying some things. He tells a parable to them. He says this. He tells, tell the priest. If you're, you know, he's telling, he's, asking, he's telling a parable to the priest. He said, he's telling the priest. If the priests are very holy, correct? The priests are very holy. They cannot mess up. He says, if you carry unholy flesh in the fold of your garment, will you become unholy? The priest said, yes, sure. The priest could not touch anything unholy. Even though you are good, you cannot touch anything unholy. He doesn't, cannot touch it. And then he says, if you are unholy and you touch something holy, will you become holy? <laughs> I think you have lost, lost it. Okay? So he's asking the priest. He says, God is asking the priest, right? In the old covenant. He says, 
If a priest is very holy, he sanctified himself, he doesn't do mess up, he doesn't do something, but he by mistake touches something unholy, does he become unholy? Yeah? In the whole coming? Does he become unholy? He's completely holy, he's clean, perfect, he's done all the rituals, he's done, but he touches something unholy. Will he become unholy? Yes. Very clear. He cannot, he cannot, he cannot touch it like he touches a dead person. He cannot, he, cannot, he cannot minister. He has to go through the whole rituals of, you know, ashes and blood and sacrifice. Correct? Make sense? Okay. Then he gives another example. He says, suppose you are unholy. You are unholy. You are not done all your rituals. You are unholy. You are sinful. But you touch something holy in the temple. Will you become holy? Holy. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way also. Correct? That means, holiness, for, for you to be holy in the old covenant, you have to be completely holy. You cannot touch nothing. But he says what? He says, a day is coming. When somebody completely holy will touch somebody unholy. And what happens to the holy one? Nothing. But what happens to the unholy one? He becomes whole. He says, a day is coming. A day is coming. He's talking about Jesus. A day is coming in this place where you are. He's saying a day is coming when a woman who has an issue of blood will reach out and touch somebody holy. And the holy will remain holy. But the unholy will become whole. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the power of the new covenant. And says Jesus is coming that day. And he says, and it's hidden in Haggai. He says, a day is coming when my son is going to walk the shores of Galilee and he is going to touch every sinner and the sinner is going to become holy. Amen? Amen? And a day is coming when the Holy One of God will do some stupid mistake but will still remain holy. Is that good? Or are you going to be always so afraid? Oh, I did I mess up today. Did I lose my salvation? God says, no, 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 no. I have preserved you and I have perfected you and I have made you clean. You will never be unclean. Isn't that good? What the power of this new covenant in Christ Jesus. That is in this new mountain, in this city that you are in, that God has registered your name, by the way, you can never be defiled. Say, never be defiled. You say, but Anil, so that, that means I can go and do all some stupid things? Try. <laughs> you know, you'll do a couple of stupid things and then you'll like, seriously, what am I doing this? My father is so good. He loved me when I did not even love him. How much more when I've accepted him as my savior? Isn't it? You know, there is, there is this, uh, this guy. Uh, I, I will leave the guy's name unnamed. This guy is, he, he, he's a homosexual. Uh, and uh, he had uh, so so he said when people used to criticize me about my homosexuality you know I really wanted to be more more I wanted to do more and rebel more against the society but now that they have started to accept me as I am I have no fun in doing this <laughs> this is a major commentator a major conservative commentator I, I don't want to say the name, but it, you, you, you'll know it. This is his old testament. He says, and he's, this guy is not even a believer. Right? I mean, he says, he's just from a, he says, now that it, everybody's accepted it, I find no reason to enjoy the lifestyle. 
See, because when, so you, because you might try to do things against the Father God, but you know, seriously, you're not going to enjoy it. Because the Father loves you so much. The Father teaches you. He loves you. You don't have to prove anything to Him, but He loves you unconditionally. When, when, you have, when you have that knowledge of that unconditional love, it releases you to do the things that please the Father. Just like Jesus, that love that the Father had for Him drove Him to give His own life. Who would go to hell, man? I mean, you're talking about man will not go to hell for man. But a God who's perfect and righteous will not just go for hell for one man, but for the sins of all men, all women, forever. What love propels that? You know what love? The love that says, I love you before the foundation of the world. Is that good? Is that good? Okay. That's not the good part. The biryani part is coming. Okay. There it is. So he says, so on the 24th day of the ninth month, you know what is the 24th day of the ninth month? In the Hebrew calendar, it's a, it's a, it's a month called Kislev. Say Kislev. The 24th day of the ninth month of Kislev is typically, you know, which feast of the Jews? Very interesting. I just found out today. His Hanukkah. They light the candles. It's called the Feast of Dedication. What did they do was they believe that that's the day that the second temple was dedicated. So they light each candle for nine days. Uh, eight, eight or nine days, correct. So Hanukkah starts on 24th, 25th. This year, Hanukkah starts on Christmas Eve. 24th of December also happens to be 24th of Kislev. So, so the Bible talks about Hanukkah in the Bible. John chapter 10 says Jesus in the day on the feast of dedication walked in Solomon's porch. Isn't that beautiful? Why? Because on Hanukkah they light the menorah. Right? So what is Jesus doing walking in the Solomon's porch? He's saying that I am in the midst of the church. I am the light of the world. I am in the center. You know the, in the menorah, the center lamp? So the, all the other lamps, it's a picture of the church. That's how it is. Solomon's porch is a picture of church. That's where the early church met. And Jesus walked on day of Hanukkah in Solomon's porch. Is that a coincidence that the Holy Spirit mentions that thing in John chapter 10? He says, on the, on the, you want to see that? You want to see that? Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Okay. John chapter 10. And we'll close fast. John chapter 10, verse 22. It was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was? It was? Winter. Hey, when is Kislev? December. December is winter, isn't it? See, you get a picture of what really happened in Jerusalem. It was the feast of dedication, which is Hanukkah. See, Hanukkah is not mentioned here, but that is Hanukkah. Hanukkah, and it was winter, and what was Jesus doing? And Jesus walked in the temple, where? Solomon's porch. What happened in Solomon's porch? Go to, go to uh, Acts chapter 3 verse 11. Acts chapter 3 verse 11. Acts chapter 3 verse 11. Now as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's. 
So all the people, the, the disciples, the believers were in Solomon's porch. Go back to Acts chapter 5 verse 12. Acts 5 verse 12. Can somebody read that? They were all in one accord where? Interesting that Jesus was walking on the day of Hanukkah. Where is he walking? Why is he walking in Solomon's porch? What is he showing? What is he telling? That I am in the midst of the church. Where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am the center lamp. I am the Hanukkah. I am the menorah. I am in the midst. Do you know that Jesus is right now here? <laughs> you have no idea that the Lord of the universe, Yahweh, is right now in 1401 Van Winkle Drive. He's standing just next to me. He's in the midst. He's in the midst. I'm on the side, but he's here right now. Do you know it? He is gathered. Two or three are gathered, not meet. Gathering means gathered means like a hen gathers his chicks, like a mother gathers her children. Like it's gather is very personal, correct? Gathering is personal. That means somebody is in the middle who gathers. Correct? Gathering always involves somebody being in the center. Right? Meeting means you can meet across the room. But gather means you gather to something. Who is this to? Hallelujah! It is Jesus walking in Solomon's porch. And guess where the church met exactly? Isn't that coincidence that the church happened to meet in Solomon's porch? Exactly where Hanukkah... And the Jews today celebrate Hanukkah not knowing. They are celebrating the light of the world. Jesus! And Jesus walks in the midst in the Hanukkah. And Revelation, when John looks at the church, what does he see? He sees 11 lampstands, which is the church, and the Holy Spirit, and the seven, le- seven uh, sorry, seven. the seven lampstands, which is the church, and the seven fires, which is the seven spirits of God. Is that cool? And suddenly he looked and turned in the midst in the midst of the lampstand was who's standing? Jesus. With his face shining, with his hair white, dazzling white. He's not white because of the because of the brilliance, with his with his feet with burning brass, with his eyes of fire. Jesus is in the middle. He John saw. Jesus in the midst of the church. You know Jesus is like this right now. He's your good shepherd. He's your good shepherd. Why why, why is Jesus? Why did this word of God? I mean, I know we are getting into it very deep. Are you guys interested in real Bible study? Okay, this is good. Why did the word of God came on the 24th of the 7th month of the Hebrew calendar? Why? Not the 7th month, the 9th month. Why? Because he's trying to say that. I am setting up the church. I am building my house. Remember he said the shaking has happened and the glory is going to come into the latter house. And now he's describing the latter house. 
So we are in this house right now where Jesus is in the midst and we are gathered to him. We are in the midst and the word comes to the church. What does it come to the church? Let's go to Haggai chapter again. Let's go back to Haggai chapter 2. He says what? Now carefully consider from this day forth. From which day forth? 24th day of? Month of? Okay, come on, come on. What is the Hebrew word? Month. <laughs> not Aduga, not the month of Kislev. Kislev. The 24th day of Kislev, which is the, the feast of dedication, which is Hanukkah, which celebrates what? It celebrates what? No, it doesn't celebrate the gathering. It is a feast of dedication of what? Of the temple. So it is a dedication of the temple. That means it's a dedication of a temple. Say the temple. So what is the temple of God today? The church. Where is the church right now? Here. Where are we seated? In Christ Jesus. Where is that? Mount Zion. Make sense? So the church is there. Do you know how the church looks right now? Revelation chapter 21, you can see it. It's beautiful. He saw, John saw the church coming down dressed like a bride. So it was coming down. Not that it is not there right now. It's coming down from heaven. Why? Because it is in heaven right now. Right? Like for example, if you die right now, if you have not believed Jesus, I cannot say God bless you. Because there's no blessing. Right? I mean, if you don't have Jesus, there is no blessing, children. There is no blessing. In fact, you know, you know. Oh, this is so powerful. I mean, I can go in so many ways here. You know, when uh, Psalms chapter eighteen, where it talks about Jesus destroying Satan on the cross of Calvary and how he destroyed in hell, why he suffered and finally he destroyed. It says the evil spirits cried out to Yahweh. To <laughs> It's like demons are crying out to the Lord to rescue them from Jesus. <laughs> Did you know that? There was because when Jesus came to destroy them, they were crying out to Yahweh, Yahweh, save us from this anointed one who shows up. You know they were they were frightened to their I don't know whether they were underwear, but whatever. They were frightened. They were crying out to Yahweh to rescue them. Do you know that it's written there? When I saw that, I was like, seriously. And the Bible says in Psalm 18, I don't know, we should do this whole study on Psalm 18. It's such a mystery hidden. He says, and God didn't hear them. Oh, he said, yeah. Why would God want to hear them? You know, and, and God, the other day, last week, when I was having a quiet time, I was studying this book of uh, Gedelins. And I'm saying, God, how do the demons cry out to the Lord to save them from Jesus? Why would they do that? Lord, I was showing, I mean, I, and I forgot about it. And I was doing the study on the, the demon-possessed man in Gadarin. So Jesus appears on the shore, and this guy cries out, I adjure you by God. Don't torment me. It's <laughs> like, Yahweh has just showed up on the, on the shores of Gadarin. And this demon is saying, I, I swear you by God. Hey, I am God. Don't torment me. He's telling I am pleading to God. Please, you don't torment me. He's a, so he's like, da. You know, so did, did his prayer get answered? No. 
you know that demon was very smart the way he said that and the other day I was telling Nilo this you know he's so powerful the demon said you know nobody else knew that there was a legion of demons in this man right correct nobody knew that right so when he first showed up before Jesus what did he say I adjure you by the you want to see that do you have that can somebody get that verse that, I think it's in Mark right Mark chapter 6 Mark chapter 6 I want to show you something very interesting about how these demons operate and I want you to see understand this Mark, Mark chapter in Mark chapter 5 Mark chapter 5 he says and when he saw Jesus from far he ran and worshipped him this man right this man correct but it's a demon in him correct okay and he cried out with a loud voice and said what have I to do with you Jesus son of the most high God okay that makes sense I have nothing to do with you son of the most high God correct look at the next verse I beg you I I, I implore you by God that means he's asking God <laughs> he's asking God to save himself from Jesus I implore you by God that you do not torment me so the demon is pretending look at how demons are so so shrewd and so wicked and this just touched me when God was showing me in my quiet time he said see other said this is what the demon is trying to do he is not telling everybody around that there this is the demon speaking he is telling everybody pretending as if it is the voice of the man so that is why he uses the word singular what have I got to do with you son of God I implore you by God that you do not torment me so he is making it appeared to everybody around that who is the tormentor? Jesus! See, demons want always to prove to everybody that God is a tormentor. That is the reason Jesus for the first time asked his name. See, Jesus never went around going and asking demons name. Tell me your name, lie, oh, are you telling the truth? No. You know, are, 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 what's your name? Jealousy. No, Jesus never gone. Jesus, you know, patience with demons, he cast them out. But to this demon, he asked them, What is your name? Why? Why is he asking him his name? Because this guy, this demon is impersonating as this man and making it appear to everybody that God has sent his son to torment this world. That's what the church has been telling for 2,000 years in a wrong message that God torments sinners. God torments the homosexuals. God torments the wicked. God does not torment the wicked. God came to save the wicked. Do you see that? See how the demons gets your message and if you talk to any unbeliever about God, what is your first impression? God is a hard God. God torments people. Isn't it? Don't you think when you grew up the reason you didn't want to accept Jesus was what? Oh, if I have to, my, growing up, I told, I shared this, yeah, I shared many times. Growing up, one of my toughest challenges, I didn't want, as a young man, I didn't want to accept Jesus, was because if I accept Jesus, I'll have to be like Mother Teresa, I have to go in the slums, and I have to take care of them. Either I have to, I cannot be a hypocrite. 
Either I am a believer, I have to go all the way, or others I am a hypocrite. I cannot do that. So Mother Teresa was the biggest challenge to become a believer. I was like, I cannot be, I cannot, I, I hate slums. And it's, and, 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 and in the, and in the, and in the, and in the, and in India there is a lot of slums. <laughs> in India there is a lot of slums. And you really see how, I said, Lord, I just don't have the heart. I didn't say Lord. I was like, man, yeah, I cannot do that. I would kind of, so I was like this, you know, nice Christian boy. <laughs> I don't know whether I was going to hell or heaven or I had no idea. Because I always felt God was a tormentor. He doesn't want the best for me. He wants to make me struggle. He wants to kill me. He's a killjoy. I don't want to have fun with him. God doesn't want me to have fun. You know, the Bible said, uh, the elder, ma- elder son, he came to the father. You know, these two sons, the elder son, what did the elder son say to the father? He said, you, I served you all these many years, but you never once gave, gave me a goat to enjoy with my friends. Means what? My father is a killjoy and a tormentor. Right? <laughs> By the way, who is dancing and who is having music and where is the father? Inside the house with the younger son making merry. And whose idea of making merry? The father's idea. He says, is it not right for us to have a little party? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the father's idea. And, and, the, and the elder man and the son is like, seriously, you like parties? <laughs> that's not what the demon said outside in the pigsty. But, but the mother sure. Who have you been hanging around with? Servants? Ah, see to the servants, he is a tormentor. <laughs> but to the son, hey, you are the son. That's where the party is. Is that good? God loves you as a son. He gives the sonship as a gift. But guess what? This father is also good to his servants. But how much more to his son? Is that good? See this demon impersonating himself as a single man trying to give a false image of Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? And then immediately he says, what's your name? He said, my name is Legion. Then suddenly, my name is Legion for we. He's <laughs> like, Jesus said, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Just say it, just say it, just say it, say it. We, we. How do you pronounce we? W-E, right? <laughs> what does we mean? Legion. You know how much is a legion? 2,000. So there are 2,000 of you all inside here? Yeah. So I am not a tormentor. I am a deliverer. Get out! <laughs> and all the demons went into the swine. Swine. Is that good? God is not proving that I am a good father. So when the, now, when the people of the land came and told him to leave, what did Jesus do? You know, at the end of the story, it's so sad. The people of the land came and pleaded with Jesus to leave. What did Jesus do? He left. Why? Why did he leave? Come on. Yes, but why did he leave? Because he's not a tormentor. Hey, you don't want, you don't have, you don't want to do anything with God. He will leave you alone. You think I torment, God torments you? No problem. Try living your life on your own. You, you see who, who gets tormented and how much you will do. 
You know, I, this is very interesting. This Olympics is so good because it shows so many life stories of people who have reached the very limit and found that place that they have reached empty. Seen the stories about that? You know Michael Phelps' story? After he gets from Beijing Olympics, right? He had how many medals there? Six medals that time, I think. Six. Uh, yes. And then, he's, this is his life story. He said, I came to a place where I had everything that I've reached. I've achieved everything. This guy is the greatest decorated Olympian of all time. I mean, the next guy is half his medals. I mean, he's like 23 or 26, 20. 23 gold medals plus many silver, some silvers and all. And the next guy is like 11 or something, you know. He's so far, he said, I have reached everything. And I come to a place I found myself with no purpose and no identity. And I lost myself and I wanted to kill myself. Why? Can that do to you? You think that you will reach there and then you find happiness? No. When you reach there, you find that there is nothing more there. In fact, you ask many of these guys. Because this guy, I, I asked somebody else. Yeah, I, who is the decathlon? Uh, Eaton. Eaton was asked. He said, hey, now you're the great, world's greatest athlete. That's what they give the title for a guy who wins 10. He has to go through 10 events to get the gold medal, right? So he's the world's greatest athlete. He, and he's done it in two consecutive Olympics. So he's like the world's greatest athlete. And he asked him, so what do you want to do? What, what's next? He said, I have no idea. I don't know what to do. See, now he's just welcoming. You know, if you don't have that. So what happened to Michael Phelps? He went into drugs. He went into alcoholism. And he was almost broke. Anyway, he was caught in a DUI and it was a wake-up call for him. And then somebody gave him a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Warren, uh, Rick Warren. Started free. He found purpose. Isn't it? And this, I, this, what I just told you, a friend in my office who's a Hindu, he was telling me. I've, I heard this. And that is true. See how it is impacting people. He said, interesting. And I said, isn't that true? I was telling this friend of mine. He said, isn't that true? We think that we have achieved everything and we come to a point and we've got everything and there's nothing there. See, without Christ in the center, walking in Solomon's porch, you will never find fulfillment in your life. Amen? Let him walk in your Solomon's porch. Guess what? He's a good shepherd. He wants you to have fun. He doesn't come to torment you. He loves you. The action is there, man. The action is in the house. But you have, you have no idea how much fun the Christian life is. When you are well provided, you are not finding dirt and struggling, you go not going to the garbage to find fun. Hey, he prepares a table in the midst of my enemies. Whose idea is that? The shepherd's idea? Whose idea is that? Isn't that good? Okay, let's go back to Haggai. Are we ready? And finally we'll close with this. Let's go to Haggai. So what is God saying on the day of Hanukkah, so on the day of the Feast of Dedication, the temple, that is the church, which is where we are right now. Did we get Haggai or did we lose Haggai again? Index, index. It's called index. Zephaniah, after Zephaniah is Haggai. Let's face it. Now he says, now this is verse five, 15. Very few places in the Bible that you have read, where you see this. Now carefully consider from this day forward. Say this day forward. So the Bible is saying very powerfully, it says carefully consider that this day forward, mark this day, that there is something special about this day. What happened on that day? Hold it. What happened on that day? The temple is established. God is building his temple. That means he's built the church, correct? 
mark this day. He says, from the day that this foundation stone has been laid. That means this temple is laid. But Jesus has incorporated you on Mount Zion. Mark this day. Mark this day. Consider this day. Forward. Are you all ready? Are you all ready? He's giving you a promise. This day onwards. From this day of Hanukkah. He's marking this day. He says, mark this day. Carefully consider from this day forward. From before the stone was laid upon stone in the temple of God. That is something beautiful has happened. The temple has come. Right? Then he starts, he tells, he tells, tells them to start recollecting them about something that happened before this day. He says, since those days, when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, you found how many? There were 10. That means when you came, when you came to the harvest, and you found, there was, they were supposed to find 20 ephahs. You went up and you found how many? 10. Disappointed? Yes? Disappointed? Yes or no? You come, you expect a harvest of 20, you land up with how much? 10. Are you disappointed? Say disappointments. <laughs> disappointments are very common in our lives, right? I mean, you come to this great expectation, but nothing is there, right? So he's, he's telling you to recollect of what happened out before the temple. Say before the temple. Before. This is your life. Correct? When you came to a wine vat to draw out 50 baths from the press, how many were there? 20. Very disappointed? You worked so hard, right? You worked in your studies, you worked in your this, and you, you did not achieve what you wanted. Correct? Are you disappointed? You're disappointed, right? Okay, keep reading. Then, verse 17. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hand. For a, for a farmer, you understand. You are about to now harvest. Now, this happened in Florida. About a couple of years back, there was this orange harvest. Oranges are huge in Florida. So, just before the harvest, there was this huge hailstorms in Florida. The whole crop was destroyed. I mean, you don't want hailstorms just before the harvest. Because... When you buy an orange which is punctured or damaged, you don't know, you lose the whole harvest. He says, I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hand. Yet, guess what? What did you do? You did not turn to me. See, look at the God saying, God sometimes uses all stupid circumstances. The enemy uses all things because you are evil, right? You are sinful. So the enemy attacks you. God allows that because... You are sinful. You are not accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So you are not. You, are, you don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Righteousness is a gift. So if you want to fight it out yourself, then you are under the law. Then you you get punishment. You are living by the law. Then whatever you do, if you do right, you get blessed. If you don't do right, you get cursed. So you are under the curse. So God allows the enemy to punish them. God, Satan is like an adversary in the hand of God. But God doesn't do it. He is like an advocate who enforces the law. There's a law, right? It's like you know, there are in a, in a city, many sit in many cities. There is a law: citizens arrest. Have you heard of it? A citizen can arrest another citizen if they are breaking the law. They allow it in certain places. Like for example, if you are trying to kill somebody or you are trying to rob something, the citizens can hold them down. It's called citizens arrest. You have authorized by the state to stop it because the policeman cannot be every place. Correct? So it's called citizen's arrest. So Satan is like citizen's arrest. He is around in this land. So he enforces God's law on God's behalf. He's, is he valid? Sure. Because it's a law. But we have been delivered from the law in Christ Jesus. Correct? But if you are not in Christ Jesus, you are subject to the same law in this world. 
of the law of blessing and curse. Guess what? You fall onto the which side of the law? The curse side. Because for the blessing, you have to do everything. But for the curse, you just do one mistake, you're done. Hey, how unfair is that? That's how it is. That's the deal that Israel wanted. Either you do all the things and you're blessed, or you do one mistake and you're cursed. How can you beat that? And yet people want to go back to the law. A lot of you have heard, you know, karma, man, karma, karma. It's karma. You know, if I have enough brownie points in my life, God is going to be happy. Hey, which gospel is that? Not the Bible. It says you make one mistake, you broke the whole law. Correct? So what does that say? So he says, so consider now. But you did not turn from me. So when people were under the law and were punished, did people turn to God? No. no. On Mount Sinai, what happened? God gave them the law. What happened at the bottom of the mountain? He made a golden calf. So you know, you, you see that in your own life, right? When the more rules you are subject to, the more you want to? You want to? Break it. Right? But God says, you know what? I did all this. I kept punishing you all. You all were disappointed in your harvest. You all did not materialize. So what was God's expectation for these people? That they will turn to God. Right? But they didn't turn. They became more rebellious. Right? So God said, I'm going to do something different. From this day forward. Isn't it God is good? Look at how God, you think God wants to torment you. Right? Look at how God thinks about you. You did not turn. Now, he will do something very different. Look at what he does. I struck you with blight. You did not turn to me. Con but consider now. Again he says consider now. From this day forward. Oh wow. Look at this. From the 24th day of the ninth month. <laughs> and God says. Couple of times consider this. And he names a date. There is something very powerful about that date. He says from this day forward. God is marking it in a calendar for you. And for him. And he says from this day forward. What? The day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. That means when Jesus Christ becomes a temple for you. Jesus became a temple for you when you accepted Jesus. Says from that day forward. From that day forward. Guess what? Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the wine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, have they yielded fruit? But, so he's again reminding you, has the, has the fig tree blossomed? Has the pomegranate bore fruit? Has anything happened in your life and you're like complaining all your life? Nothing works for me, man. Nothing works. Whatever I do breaks down. Sure. Sure. It sure breaks down. The Bible says it does. But God says it's never worked for you, right? Hold it. But mark this day. If you decide to be, part, be a part of this temple, if you allow Jesus to be your temple, say Jesus, Jesus. My, temple. my temple. See, because he walks in the midst, right? He is the shepherd. If you allow Jesus to be your temple, not you, you cannot do anything, right? See, because you never turn, even when I rebuked you. But if you allow Jesus to be your temple, I'm telling you, God says, mark it. It's almost like God gives you a throwdown. You know, throwdowns? You know, throwdown is, you know, you all do throwdown in college? You don't do throwdowns? Okay. <laughs> Oh, good guys, man. Throwdowns, man. Come on, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's challenge it. Jump from here. Most of the throwdowns are like 
Everybody else is doing the throwdown and they have the one jumping, right? <laughs> Can you do it? You know, she's like a throwdown. She's market, market. I guarantee you. You know the, the ad that men's warehouse. I guarantee it. I think they've taken that thing guy out of the ad, but it's like I guarantee it. Market. From this day forward, what I learn, what will I do? I will bless you. Hallelujah. Why would I bless you? Because God has become, Yeshua has become your temple. I'll bless you. You know how, uh, how uh, Habakkuk ends? Can you go back to two, two, passage, two chapters, two books before this? Just read the book of Habakkuk, verse 17. Now this is an Israelite under the law. Totally disobedient. Has not totally disobedient, maybe have a lot of good works, but he's totally at the curse. And look at how frustrated he is. Look at how frustrated this Habakkuk ends. Habakkuk is about we messed up, oh Lord. Nothing works for us. And look at his prayer. And you know, we used to sing this song when I was growing up. I will sing this song for you a little bit later. But this is the song. This is what he said. Though the fig tree does not blossom, what's happening? There's no fig tree does not blossom. And fruit on the wines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, what? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Why? Because he has this hope. One day, the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like gear's feet. I, he will make me walk on my high hills. So he's looking forward to a day when God will send his son Jesus and because of that I, he will make me ride the high hills of the earth. Means what? He'll give me great positions on the earth. But he says at this point of time what's happening? Does the fig tree blossom? No. So, so, it, so we used to sing the song which used to say Though the fig tree may not blossom no fruit beyond the wines Though the labor of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. So, so we should we grow up as a believer, always disappointments in my life. You know, fig tree does not blossom, there's no fear. <laughs> so we all come to our Bible study and we say, there's a fig tree does not blossom, there'll be no fruit in the vine. Tell me all, the fig tree does not blossom. So, we are, so we are in the temple of God. <laughs> when Yeshua is in the midst of the Lamb, he's a good shepherd. So the fig tree does not blossom. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. So it's like a great pride. Lord, all my life is a mess. You know? <laughs> but I will rejoice in you, Lord. <laughs> God says, wake up. He doesn't want that rejoicing. Because that rejoicing got finished in Haggai. He says, consider this day. From this day onwards, I will Bless you. Say bless you. Do you believe this report? Hey, do you believe this report? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, he, he, this is how he defines obedience to the gospel. For they did not believe the report. Isn't that good? In the new covenant, obedience is clarified as 
not doing, but believing what? See the report. What report? That from this day onwards, I will bless you. Sushil, from this day onwards, I will bless you. I mean, that, who says this? Who says this? What's the response of the guy? The guy never changed, turned to God, but God says, Hey, my son is in the temple. So this day onwards, I will bless you. Why does he say I will bless you in spite of your lack of holiness? Why? Because just before he gave that word, he told the priest, think about what's happening today. If you are unholy and you touch something holy, do you become holy? No. If you are holy and you touch unholy, do you become unholy? Yes. But a day is coming when even if you do something unholy, I will still, I will still, I will still, you are not coming in and out of fellowship with me because I will still, because you are, why? Because you are part of my temple. Say temple. Oh, hallelujah. Are you excited about this? That you are part of this God's holy mountain that no undefiled thing can touch it. Do you know this? On this holy mountain, God cannot let evil come to you, brothers and sisters. But you'll say, but why does the fig tree does not blossom in my mind? Because you do not believe this report. That is why Haggai says, from consider this, mark it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? God says, that's faith. Obedience, and I want you to go and read Romans chapter 10 obedience of faith. And you know, and he refers to which chapter in the Bible as the gospel. You know, which chapter is called the gospel? You know, which chapter is called the gospel? Isaiah chapter 53, because that is the chapter that Paul is quoting, saying, He starts with, Who has believed the report? He was bruised for our sake. He is punished for our peace. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And the Bible says, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because that's the gospel. Do you believe that? If you believe that, God says, you're obedient to the gospel. Hey, how many of you want to be obedient Christians? How many of you want to be obedient Christians? It says, believe Isaiah 53. Believe Haggai chapter 2. Believe it. And you see your difference. You say, Josh, you say, Hey, is that so easy? Sure, it's easy for you, but it was not easy for Jesus. Remember Psalms 18 and 2 Samuel chapter 22? How he suffered? It was not easy for him, but it's easy for you. See? In the old covenant, you have to be perfectly holy before you could be attested holy. You couldn't even make one mistake. But in this new covenant, he says from this day forward, irrespective of what you do, because you are part of my temple. Isn't that powerful? The knowledge that you are part of God's temple makes you completely reliable and stable. Because I have so many verses. I have so many verses. And let's go to Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9. And then it says, And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Wow, how many times? How many times? Why? Why is it being told? How many times? How many times he is repeating 24th day of the month? What's so special about this day? Because that's the day that the stone was laid. That's the day where you were incorporated into the body of Jesus Christ. 
That's the day you became part of the temple. He says from that day onwards, when the stone is laid in the temple, who is the stone? You. Who is the chief cornerstone? Jesus Christ. From that day onwards, what happens? I will bless you. Can you take this to the bank? I can't take it to the bank. Because he's the bank. Because the Bible says silver and gold is mine. He just told, right? That shaking moved all the gold and the silver into the house of God. See, the house of the God is where the prosperity and the money is. How do I know that? That shaking brought the shaking. Once more, uh, I will shake the earth. He talked about the shaking. Which shaking was he talking about? Once more, I will shake. Which shaking was that? On the cross. That shaking did what? Did it kill people? No. No. But that shaking did what? It filled the temple with gold. Yes or no? Do I have proof of it? The Bible says when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the place where they were gathered was was shaken. So when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the place that they were sat was shaken. So the shaking for the believer does what? It fills you. It fills you. So there it filled it with blessing. Correct? Okay. So the Bible says, you shall be pressed down. Oh, hold it, hold it. You will be pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So when a believer is shaken, it is shaken for what? Oh, it's like, oh, do you feel that? When God shakes you, it's because, because you know, you brother, sister, you don't have space to take my blessing. Let me just shake you some more and shake you down so that I can make some space for you so that you can receive some more. The shaking for a believer is the shaking to fill you up. Shaking to fill you up. Not the shaking to uproot you. Oh brother, I am going through a lot of shaking in my life. So, oh wow, you are getting, getting ready for riches? Why? That's what I mean. I, I don't think that I, I told you correctly. I am going through a lot of shaking. Oh, that's great brother, great. So God is getting ready to create space for you. To receive more. That means you receive so much. And you are overflowing. God is telling, shake him down. Shake him down and fill him more. Can you receive that much? You know, believe there are... The, the Gentiles have that kind of wealth and the Bible says that shaking is going to transfer that wealth over to you and you will not have space enough to receive it. Right? Do you have any more shaking that's going to happen? Any more shaking? Shaking. I want to give you the one more shaking I should get it. Ah! Acts! Chapter 16, verse 26. Remember when the disciples, uh, Peter was put in the jail? And what happened? There was a big earthquake and what happened? Shaken. And what happened to that shaking? What caused that, what, what, what did the shaking accomplish? It opened the doors and loosed their bonds. So the shaking for a believer does totally different things. It fills you up. It opens doors and loosens your bonds. And the same shaking happened on the cross. He loosed all your bonds and opened the door forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you ready for the shaking? Yes. 
That shaking has happened. I'll receive it. Amen. So now God says, same day, same day. Consider day. Which day? Did you? Which day? Correct. <laughs> He's smart. He got it. I just tried to trap him. <laughs> he got it. Which month? Which Hebrew month? Kislev. 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 The day of Hanukkah. Hanukkah. 24th day of the ninth month. You'll never forget this day after this message. You know, from this day onwards, I will bless you. Why? It's a foundation day of when. That day is the day that you accepted Jesus. Interesting. That's the day. That's when you got planted in the menorah. It started to receive the. You know how the menorah is? Do you all know the menorah? You should study the menorah. The oil flows from the center lamp into all the lamps. They fill the center lamp and it flows into a, like a pipe into all the rest of the lamps and all the rest of the lamps burn bright. Because God says, I will connect you into this lamp. And you will never run dry. Correct? That's why they always, they make sure that the menorah never runs dry. It, in the temple it should do, now they don't. Now it's like electronic, right? LED that flashes as if it is a lamp. You know? Come on! Can you have some real light? No. Ah, it's all. Okay. So, but then he says, again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month saying, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I will shake heaven. You know what? Shaking is coming. Listen to this. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them and the horses and the riders shall come down each one by the sword. The day is coming when God is going to shake the whole earth. And what's going to happen to the church at that point of time? Go to Joel chapter 3 and we'll close with that. Joel chapter 3. Joel, cha- Joel is where? Joel is, keep going before, keep flipping chapters before it. Joel chapter 3. Before Amos and after Hosea. Okay. Joel chapter 3. He's talking about the shaking. Remember, this is the same passage where it says, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm strong. <laughs> Last time we studied that passage. The, let the weak say, I'm strong is not for the believer. It is for the... Did you, did you remember that passage? Last time we studied This Bible said, that what he studied, the, the Bible says, Let the weak say, I'm strong. It is not written to believers. It's written to the unbelievers in the last day where God says, They pretend as if they are strong. And God says... Breed your swords, your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears and go into battle against me so I can destroy you. So God gives them a false sense of strength so he can get them to be deceived and fight Jesus on Mount of Olives. <laughs> That's so funny. And we use that verse there. Let the weak see our hands. So the Bible says to the believer in Isaiah, beat your swords into pruning Plowshares and your spears into pruning hooks. To the believer, he says, Relax! Your warfare has ended! Beat your shorts into plowshares and your spears into pruning hooks. You relax! You don't need to fight! Let the world fight! So we, we got it all mixed up. What the world is supposed to do, we are doing. And the world seems to be relaxing and enjoying. But we are like in warfare. <laughs> Brother, we are in spiritual warfare. You know? We're like constantly in warfare. Hey, stand, the Bible says. Never fight. 
Fight the good fight of faith. What is the good fight of faith? The good fight of faith is to believe the report. Isn't that? The warfare is ended. Isaiah chapter 50, if I'm not mistaken. says the warfare has ended. What did beat your swords into plowshares? Relax. That's why he told Peter, Hold it. What are you doing trying to do? Kill people and cut people's ears. What kind of ministry is this? It's called the year ministry, Jesus. Year ministry. <laughs> Peter having a sword drew it. So where was the problem? No, no. <laughs> having? <laughs> who, who told him to bring it around? Having a sword. If you don't have it, you cannot draw it. I mean, how can you kill each other with pruning hooks and plowshares? I mean, maybe you can. Maybe you can. <laughs> but the point is, you cannot kill people without implements of. Uh, Fruitfulness. You cannot. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's so funny. We should do a study on this. So Moses, the second time when he had to speak to the rock, remember God told him the second time, hold it. Moses, I know you're very excited, enthusiastic, but don't hit the rock. Speak to the rock. Okay? So Moses was like, <clears throat> I tried it the first time. It works. This time he could, you backsliding and rebellious people. How, how, how many times should I bring water out of the rock for you? Or something like that. He's like really mad at the people. And he took this uh, Aaron's rod that had blossomed. So it's got all these blossoms on it. He takes this and hits the rock. And God's saying, what just happened? I told you to speak to the rock because that rock is the picture of the resurrected Christ. Jesus doesn't have to die again. Now to the resurrected Christ, what do you do? You ask. You speak. You don't hit it. You don't crucify him again. You hit it. You don't. Sp you speak to it, and it will. Do and it, the Bible says, and he. Oh, I think you know in the Hebrew it says, and he. The word he is there, though it's referred to a rock, and he will. Give his riches to you. Speak to Yeshua. Don't take. So he's taking this menorah, this this uh, this almond rod, which is bread, which is the form of the lamb, and hitting it with, to Jesus. He he broke the whole type. He just destroyed the whole type of Jesus Christ. That is the reason God told Moses, mm, "That's it. This side of the Jordan, because this." Cannot, because he was destroying the picture of what a believer should do to the resurrected Christ. Is that good? Because God is possessive about the image of his son Jesus Christ. Speak to your resurrected Christ. Speak to your Lord and he will give you your bounties. Don't say I want to fight this. I want to use like I want to fight this warfare. So uh, Moses is in the spiritual battle there. He doesn't need to battle. The warfare has ended. Isn't it? All he has to do is speak. So can you speak to this resurrected Christ today? Because you are part of the church. He is your, your blessed. And, he says, and, the, and then he says, what does uh, Joel chapter says? And the Lord, multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish with brightness. The Lord will roar from Zion. The Lord will roar from Zion. Where are we right now? In Mount Zion. 
So the hint is what? So when the shaking happens on the earth, we are also with Jesus, right? Let's see whether it proves correct, right? So we know we are with Jesus and God, the Lord rose from Zion, correct? When the shaking is going to happen. The Bible talks about the shaking in Mark cha- uh, uh, Matthew chapter 25, Luke chapter 21, the end times. He talks about how the heavens and the earth will be shaken. Revelation talks about this heavens and the earth will be shaken. But the shaking for the believer has happened, correct? And the shaking that happens right now is to fill you. Amen? Prove it conclusively because the shaking said it will give the glory of the nations to you. Correct? So this shaking does not give the glory. That's why the Bible says speak to Zerubbabel again because there's a shaking coming on the earth. Because now he's not talking about the temple shaking. He's talking about the temple shaking that's going to happen to this world, brothers and sisters. There is a shaking that's going to happen. Going to happen. So are you going to be shaken as part of this? There's a hint there. Because the Lord, for that shaking to happen, has to roar from Zion. Say roar. From Zion. So he's on that Mount Zion, where we are. Which is called, Zion means, Mount, Mount Zion means the holy mountain, Jerusalem, uh, paradise, heaven, the place where Jesus is, where we are right now seated with him. Make sense? Okay. Okay. And says, and utter his voice from Jerusalem. So he does two things. Isn't that a clue? He rose from Zion and he also rose from Jerusalem. That means they are two different places. So we know that for sure because at the end Christ, Jesus will roar from Jerusalem. Physically. Correct? But he rose from Zion. Heavens and the earth will shake. But, but look at the word. What is the next word? Oh, hold it. What is the next word? What is the next word? But. Why, why is there a but there? Yeah. Because there is no shaking for you. But. Because he just talked about what? The heavens and the earth will shake. But. Say but. It's a good but, right? And that's a good but to have. The noun shaking but. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that the talking is very popular right now. You know. You know, the things associated with the world has a lot of shaking going on. But not with the believer. You know, so believers, no talking. It's called the no talking zone. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but that's called the no talking zone. No shaking zone. The heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people. Hallelujah. Because God raptures us. And I can show you to you passages and we'll go through a different passage about it. Where God hides us, raptures us before that in Christ Jesus. And the shaking happens on the earth. The shaking happens on the earth. And the strength of the children of Israel. Amen? And the Bible says, So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no alien shall pass through it again. This he's talking about physical Jerusalem. But Mount Zion, the Bible says, there no unclean thing can pass through it. Okay? And, and I'll close by reading. You want to see how the new Jerusalem that you right now live in? How does it look? You want to see that? You want to know how this new Jerusalem looks? This is how new Jerusalem looks. I want you to open your Bible. And just let's all read it together. Wow, look at all this. 
Revelation chapter 21. And we'll go read real slow because this is your picture. This is who you are in Christ Jesus right now. This is your temple. This is where the body of Jesus Christ is. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and first, uh, he first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, like a go like from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven: "Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God will be with them, and they are God, and be their God." Remember the good shepherd. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death. So is there death right now with the believer? We don't die, right? We don't die. We just get translated. We never die. Remember, death is gone. So when we die, we never die. That's finished. We just... We, you, you really... You never even close your eyes because your eyes open up to see Jesus. So you never die. There's no more death. It's not about the future. It's what is right now. There's no more death. No sorrow, no crying. That is why Jesus, after resurrected, immediately told Mary Magdalene, why are you crying? There's no more crying. So why do you cry then? Useless information. Because of lack of information is the reason you cry. Like when the disciples cried after Jesus was resurrected, but the disciples were very sad because they had lack of information. He said, what are the things that make you sad? Jesus asked them. And they asked Jesus, don't you know all the things that happened in Jerusalem? Jesus asked them back, what things? Interesting. As if Jesus did Hey, all things happen about him. But Jesus says, But I know of nothing that will make you sad. Isn't that good? Jesus knows of nothing that happened in Jerusalem that will make a believer sad. Because he's not lying. Why? Because all things is good, right? He's here. Mount Zion was formed on that day. Okay. No sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. So you say, Anil, there's no more pain right now. Sure. The Bible says there is peace. You say, but I am feeling pain. No. Ask God. Ask this rock. Let him give you the yield his bounties. He's, didn't he promise from this day onwards, I will bless you for the chastisement for our peace was upon him. So who took our pain? Jesus. Do you believe it? So that you become obedient to the gospel. So there is no more pain. So don't push it to some hereafter. It is right now. It's, this is New Jerusalem. This is where you are. Okay. And then he said, and then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Because we have a new spirit. And he said to him, Write, for these things are true and faithful. Because it doesn't depend on a man. This is true. And it is faithful. Why does he use two words, true and faithful? It's true because this is really true. Correct? Faithful because it will not change. That means your, your rebellion or your sins or your disobedience will not change his faithfulness to continue to bless you. You can be assured about it. Why? Because if he loved Jesus before the foundation of the world, and he has given same love to you. And it has nothing to do with what you have done. And he says, while we were still enemies, he, he gave his son. How much more will he not freely give? 
Hold it. You're telling me that he loved us when we didn't do one good thing. How much more will he not continue to be faithful? That's why the word faithful, true and faithful. Why? Because a believer needs to have full assurance that this is true. I agree. A lot of believers agree. This is true, right? But we don't believe that this continues. And God is so faithful to tell you, you know, these words are true and faithful. Why faithful? Because Jesus did a good job. Faithful. It's not upon you, your faithfulness. It's about his faithfulness. Is that God? Do you have that assurance that you will be blessed from this day onwards? Right? Are you believe, do you believe that? These words are faithful and true, not your faithfulness. Seriously, you cannot even be faithful. <laughs> like I'll give an altar call right now, we'll all accept Jesus and after two minutes you'll be thinking something stupid. You know? We don't even have faithfulness to move from one hour to another. We are not preserved because of our faithfulness, we are preserved because of His faithfulness. So that the saying may be fulfilled, of all that you have given me, I have lost none. And that was the time where, that was the time where Peter was getting ready to, how many swear words can I use? You know, these guys are all messed up. And Jesus say, of all that you have given me, I have lost none. So who was faithful there? Jesus or his disciples? But yet, were they preserved? In the temple? Anointed? Baptized? Filled and the prison doors opened for Peter. Hold it. Why did he not get shaken? Because it is not his faithfulness. You see that picture? Are you ready to be getting ready? You, are you getting ready to be blessed? Yeah. Oh, you've already gone to eight? <laughs> That's good. Ask. Okay. No, let's go there. Let's go there. So he says, Behold, I make all things new. Write for all these words of faith, true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. Ah, look at that. The believer has nothing to do with this. It is done by God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. It's done. I'm sorry. I'm scared. But I can't say it. It is done. <laughs> you know, I have to say it. It's done. It's finished. It's finished. You just stay down, okay? Just finish it. Okay. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. So God saying, I am the Alpha and Omega. That means every spoken word. Alpha and Omega is words. So I am the first word and the last word. So whatever words you hear in your life, don't worry. I am the first and I am the last. I am the last word in your life. Whatever report you hear, doesn't matter. I am the Aleph, I am the Taf. That's a Hebrew, that's how he spoke. Because he spoke in Hebrew to John, right? John is a Hebrew and Jesus is a Hebrew. Right? He spoke, I'm Aleph Taf. I'm Aleph Taf. I'm the first and the last. Everything that you've spoken in your life, every word that people have spoken about you, does not matter. Because I am the first word, I am the last word. You put in whatever junk you have in the middle, but I will close it up and make it good. I am a lifter. What? How can you ruin this up? That I am the first 
I'm the Aleph and the Tatanov. I am your every spoken word in your life. I will close it up for you. You cannot mess it up. I'm done it. Okay? How much more assurance you need? Then he says, I am the big and the end. He's now talking about what he does. He said, of every spoken word, I am the first and I am the Aleph and the Tat. Of everything that you will do in your life, I am the beginning and I am the end. So you cannot mess up in what you do. Is that good? Okay. So now it covers your words and now it covers what you do. And then he says in Revelation, in the first chapter, I am the first and the last. I am the first person and the last person. That means I will make sure that you are protected as a person. Of who I am, I am the first in your life and I am the last in your life. So you are protected of who you are because of who I am. You are protected of what you people talk about you or what you say because I am the Aleph and I am the Taf. You are protected of because of what you do because I am the beginning and I am your end. So you cannot mess up even there. He's not talking about the church, isn't it? He's talking about New Jerusalem. I'm the Aleph. Okay. He says, I will give of the fountain of water of life. How, Ron? What is the verse say? How does he say? Verse 6. I will give of the fountain of the water of life. How? Freely. Freely. Why does he have to use the word freely if it is earned? God, God, Jesus doesn't say, I will give you this blessing only if you are obedient and you are a good boy. Then it is not free, isn't it? Right? Why is it free? Because it's not about your own merit. It's because of what I have placed you in this temple. I'll give it to you freely. And he says, I will freely heal over thirst. So the only qualification to receive is what? <laughs> it says thirst. <laughs> it's, like, it's like telling, and I, I, I listened to the message, uh, Joseph Prince, one of his messages, and he mentioned about it. He said it's so it's beautiful. He said, it's tell, like telling a guy who's very hungry, very hungry. He says, very hungry. The guy is very hungry, right? I mean, he's already eaten for three days. And he says, Ron! Right. Ron, I'm going to take your example. You're very hungry, not eaten for three days. Eat this Kentucky chicken right now. Eat it now. So it's like, is it tough for him? No. It's just like God commands you to bring to a thirsty guy. Well, what's, a, what's a qualification? Just be thirsty, right? That's how it's a qualification. How are you going to be blessed? Be willing to be thirsty. Say, Lord, I'm thirsty. Right? I'm hungry. God says, I'll fill you up. I'll fill you up. Isn't that good? Right? Does you have to fast and pray for this? No. You have to, what do you have to do? Thirst. Thirst. <laughs> you just have to thirst. You have to thirst. Okay. Then he says, I will be, he who overcomes, I will inherit all things. That means he'll give it to you. Inherit all things means I'll make you my son. So you inherit. Inheritance is good. I'm telling you. If anybody of, if your kids out here and y'all are all children, y'all have inheritance coming, praise the Lord. If somebody blesses you with an inheritance, don't say, oh, no, 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 don't give it to me. No, no, no. Take, take it, take it, take it. Huh? No one says, see, that's a good part. In inheritance, nobody says no. And even disobedient people, people who are separated from their parents, but when they get their inheritance, do they say, no, no, I don't want anything from my father. No. Sometimes they might say, but... <laughs> Hey, I get you a million dollar uh, house. No, I don't want anything. Uh, I don't think so. They want inheritance. I'll receive, but how much more from a good father in heaven, right? 
who gives you all things by inheritance, not as wages. Does he say wages? He says as an inheritance. So how do you receive in this temple as this Bible? Okay. And I, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Means what? I am responsible for you. I am, I'll be your God because I am responsible for you. You don't have to worry about it. I'm going to be responsible. But you have to say, hey, Lord, I am part of your temple. I'm willing to receive from you. Don't say, no, I don't want to receive. Receive. Okay, good. And then he says, Sucha, uh, your verse. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Isn't that good? What he says is, he's not talking about the believer. They're saying, everybody outside this temple, outside this church, God judges them not because of they did not receive Jesus. Interesting. See, this is very interesting. God doesn't judge and send people to hell because they rejected Jesus. God sends people to hell because they were disobedient according to the law. They were fearful which is because they are sinners. Jesus came as a fireman coming to rescue you from a burning house. He is not the cause of the fire. You are burning because you were born burning. <laughs> you came into the world burning. Is there a song called burning, burning, burning? I don't know, but there must be some song somewhere. You're born, you come into the world burning on judgment fire because your parents sinned. If their parents sinned, you are born with torment and fire. Jesus is a fire man coming to rescue you. You didn't burn because you rejected Jesus. You burned because you are on fire. So the cowardly unbelievers are all outside because why? Not because suddenly the believers become cowardly. No, because they are perfect. How do I know they are perfect? Because their perfection and their righteousness is from Jesus. Jesus. How do I know this? Do you want to see that? I want you to go through this because this is important. This is so about unbelievers Yes. Unbelievers. Unbelievers and worldly. Everything. Unbelievers. Yeah. Everything. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderous. Because he's running through the list of all the places where you break the law. The Bible says when the judgment seat comes up, we are not judged, right? We are given rewards when we meet Jesus after the rapture for the good things that we did for the kingdom, right? Every good thing. The Bible Jesus says, even if you give a glass of water in my name, right? To somebody else, God says, he will by no means lose his reward. So the Bible says we appear not before the judgment seat of God, the Greek word is called the bimatos. The bimatos means the, the reward place. Remember in the Olympics? The place where these guys stand, these three level. You know, that came from the Greek games where anybody who stands on it, they were not given medals, they were given what? They were given that, uh, the crown called the Stephanos. Say Stephanos. So that is what the, the word Stephen comes from. A reward, like a Stephanos. That's called the Stephanos. So they were given Stephanos. And that place was called what, you know? They were, the king said, come before the Bimatos. So the Bimatos is not for judgment. The Bimatos is for reward. So the Bible, the, a lot of the translations translate the judgment seat, the Bimatos for the believer as judgment seat. But it is wrong. You go in the Greek and you say, say, say the Bimatos. And the other place for the unbeliever, it says, 
the great white throne and the judgment seat, where they are judged. And they said, and books were opened, and a book was opened, remember? And they were judged by the, by the books, the works. These are the works. Unbelieving, correct? Unbelieving. So what is that? What, what are we thinking? Unbelieving. That means the Bible says anything which is not of faith is sin. That means you're a sinner. That means if you don't have faith, you, you sin. That means if you don't believe in God, you're a sinner. If you don't believe in the goodness of God, you're a sinner. See, sin is very serious. I mean, you're not like the Bible. How does it start? The line that goes into hell starts with which which uh, mis, uh, which work? Can you see it? The coward. How many of you think that? Uh, you thought the sexually immoral should go in first, right? <laughs> Every category of... <laughs> you always said the sexually immoral first. It's like, hold it, your turn. <laughs> but when God sends people and he sends... No, 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 no. The unbelieving. No, sorry, the... The cowardly. So you're like, oh, with fearing and trembling, I serve the Lord. Go in first. <laughs> so contradictory to the way we think, right? So the Bible says, by the way, the fearing and trembling, the word the Bible uses is a Hebraism word for out of great joy, the marvel of God. It's not the, the way English translates it. It's like saying, hey, the guy hit the bucket. Means what? The guy died. So the Bible, in Hebrew when they said, uh, and uh, with fearing and trembling, means he was so blessed by the goodness that God did, he had no words to express it. It's a Hebraism. <laughs> but now, now that it has been translated, it's like, I can only serve God fearing and trembling. Hold it. I thought we are the son and the daughters of the Lord and we serve God without fear. Doesn't match up because says, the Bible says the woman was healed from an uh, issue of blood knowing what was done in her, fearing and trembling. But the Bible says in Ezekiel, or Jeremiah, one of them, that I will do a great work and, they for, and, and you will fear and tremble me, tremble before me for the good that I have done to you. Means, you're like, seriously, what just happened? You've seen that when lottery winners, they win big things. You see that they shake? You see that? They're like, fear and tremble. Seriously, I can't YouTube, 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 YouTube. Can you watch all that? You know, most of this great, uh, uh, great expressions is for people who win this 20,000 and 30,000. <laughs> the one who the one wins a billion, all that happens in their private term and they come dressed like a, you know, we, you know, we have an advisor. Because <laughs> why all the fearing and the trembling happened in the bedroom, right? <laughs> have you seen that? So the biggest, you will see YouTube videos are of all this when they just want, hey, I just want 20 dollars of balloon, you know, so they, <laughs> And, they, and you see on this, some of these game shows, they're jumping and dancing and jumping and dancing because they got $500. That's called fearing and traveling. Okay, so we fear and travel. Okay, so look further, which is the second death. We don't go through the second death, correct? We are in the first death, okay. We are, we are, we are passed from death to life. We don't go through the second death, correct? Okay. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the, uh, filled with the seven last plagues came. So who drank the seven plagues for you? So if you don't want Jesus to bear the punishment, so guess what? Who will have to drink it? You. 
And how long will you have to drink it? For eternity. Why? Because the Bible says you cannot finish exhausting the punishment for sin. Let me repeat this. You cannot say, like, it's not like a prison on earth. You finished your 12 years of life sentence and you're free to go. You know, but even on earth, there are punishments that you can never get out of prison. Do you know that? It's called life imprisonment without parole, correct? You cannot escape, correct? Because the crime is so incredible that there is no way to get out. They have to, they have to kill them, right? The Bible says, the Bible says that you cannot finish paying up for the sin penalty of sin. How do we know that? That is why in every sacrifice in the old covenant, when they brought the lamb, the fire came down from heaven and consumed it. Did it remain? No. When Elijah prayed fire on Mount Carmel, what happened? What burnt up? What burnt up? The sacrifice. What? The water. What? The stones. Did anything remain? Why? Because the punishment is always greater than the sacrifice. Because you cannot finish paying enough for your sin. So everything gets burnt up. Correct? But Jesus on the cross absorbed it for the first time because he was God and righteous. And finally, did he remain? Yes. So that he could say it is finished. It, who said it is done here? Isn't it say it is done? Because only God in human flesh can absorb the full punishment of sin and remain. Thank you, Jesus. Is that good? So he remained. So if you decide not to take the plagues, guess how long you have to suffer in eternity? Forever. Because you can never finish. That's what Jesus' parable said. And they, he, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth and they were cast into outer darkness forever. Isn't it? And they said that, and, and he told the guy who did not spare his, guy who did own the money, he said, he shall not get out of the prison until he has repaid the very last might. How can you repay the very last might when you are in prison? You cannot. You can never pay up for your sins, brothers and sisters. You cannot. That is the good news of the gospel. Believe the report that Christ has exhausted that price and you can live a blessed life because this year onwards, I will bless you because you are part of this temple. Amen? How much more good news? I have shared so much good news today. This is like good news of the good news of the good news. Even to the extent of my words are faithful and true. You don't cannot mess it. You don't become unholy. You can be forever. Man, God in so many ways is telling you, you cannot goof this up. It is believer proof. <laughs> you cannot theologize it out. Your salvation, you cannot theologize it out. I don't know whether there's a word like that. But it's coined here today. You, know? you cannot get it out because God has reformed. Okay, let's keep reading. And then he took the seven last plagues and they talked to me. Come, he says. So this is the same angel that has just poured out the plagues on the earth. Correct? And he says, Come, I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried him away in a spirit to a great high mountain. See? The high mountain, Mount Zion. Same thing, high mountain. And showed him the great city. It's also called a city. Correct? The holy mountain, holy Jerusalem. You want, you want him to go? This way. 
Five minutes. Ten minutes. Okay. Just five minutes. Okay, be done. Five minutes will get you. Who is that? Okay, you all can go if you want. Huh? No, wait. Let them wait. Five minutes. Okay. And he carried him away in a spirit to a large, great and high mountain and showed him a great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Where is it coming out from? From heaven, from God. Right? Look at him. Having a glory of God, his, his, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Clear as crystal. And he showed him great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, names written on them, the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west, and the wall of the city ha was, had twelve foundations. And on the names of the foundations were the twelve apostles of God. That means the, the teachings of the apostles of, the, of God. These are your foundations. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And he who talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. So this angel has a rod in his hand. And he says, go ahead. Measure this city. Anytime in the Bible it talks about measuring something, get ready for judgment. Why? You remember when this hand wrote in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar in Belteshazzar, when he brought the uh, uh, temple vessels into the his palace and started drinking wine in it? They are in Babylon, correct? You know the story of Belteshazzar? Uh, and he brought, he said, get all the vessels that have been brought from Jerusalem and let's drink in it and party in it, right? So he's almost committing blasphemy. Suddenly a, a hand appeared on the wall and started writing. And this is what it wrote. Mene, mene, tekel, uparsi. Means what? You have been way measured and way and found lacking. Ah, the moment you are measured, it is with the, with the reason to find out how much you lack. Come on, let me ask you a question. Why do you measure certain things? When somebody gives you something and you measure it, what does it mean? Hey, did I get enough? Did I get my correct quantity, right? Like, when you fill gas in your tank, do you look at that digit that goes on or do you just believe by faith? When it clicks, remove it. <laughs> Mostly it is click, remove it, right? Because it is filled the tank. But what happens if you only have $20? Then you are paying by the amount. So you are, then you are looking when it stops, right? You are measuring to make sure. And then there is a sticker on the gas pump. It says, this meter has been certified and inspected on an annual basis to find that it does not lack. That means it has been measured. The ruler itself has been measured to make sure that there is no lack. That means you are not cheated. Correct? But anytime there is lack in the kingdom of God, it says you are get ready for judgment. Right? So why is the angel measuring the church? This is the church. Correct? Hey, is this the church or not? It's the bride of lamb, the lamb of God, right? So he says, why is he measuring it? Means what? Are you getting ready to judge it? Are you getting ready for judge it? Yes. Are you getting ready to judge it? How many of you agree that he's getting to judge it? Yes. Yes? So let's see what happens to this measuring. You want to see what happened to this measuring? Right? Okay. Let's read it. The city is laid out as a square, its length is equal to its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 
12,000 furlongs is length, breadth, and height are equal. Say equal. equal. Means what did it prove? There was nothing lacking. Hallelujah. So the church, when God measures the church, when God measures you, and I know it's a little late, but I want you both to understand and all of us to understand, when God measures you wrong, Joshua, God measures all of you, Jyotsna, Prasad, Rajesh, everybody, 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 God measures you, God measures you, God says you are perfect. There is no reason to judge you. But you have to be part of this kingdom. Amen? Amen? You want to receive that? Right? Receive it. Receive it. I mean, just receive it. Say, Lord, you don't have to do anything. Just receive it. Just receive it. You see, if, if you're outside, many, many take care of parcel. You'll always be found measured and unlucky. And guess what? That guy, that guy who was measured that day, what happened to him? He died. Same night. Same night. You know, this could be your night. You could go. Completely. But hey, if you're part of the temple, if this is your night, guess what? The Bible says you appear before God blameless and blameless and perfect and without fault. How many times will God use different words? Blameless, perfect, without fault before my throne. Why? Because God has put you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? Measure man, length, breadth and weight equal. And you always thought that this is for some architectural beauty of New Jerusalem, right? No. It's to tell you that you are perfect. Nothing lacking. Nothing lacking. Nothing lacking. Nothing lacking. Okay. And the construction of its wall was of jasper. And the city was of pure gold and like clear glass, the foundations, and we just go, we skip through all that. He says all, the, all these beautiful pearls, and he says, verse 22, and I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. See, look at that. Jesus is our temple. There you go. There's no physical temple, brothers and sisters. This is a picture of we in Christ, Jesus. Jesus is our temple. How clearer can this get? That's why he was walking in the Solomon's porch. Remember we just talked about it? Because he is the temple. That's why the church met in Solomon's porch. Because he is the temple. Amen? Okay, keep reading. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb at its temple. The city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of the Lord illuminated it because the glory is here now. Correct? The Lamb is its light and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring its glory and honor in it. The gate shall not be shut at all by day and there shall be no night there. There is no night in New Jerusalem. You can, you will never stumble in this night. In New Jerusalem, you will never stumble because the Lord is a light. You don't go by natural light. You don't go by what the world says. You will not, you go by what the Lord says in this light. There is no night here. Say no night here. Because God is a lamp. He's a light. Make sense? There is no sun in this. So he's not talking about the physical sun. You know what I mean, right? There is no night here. Say no night here. I cannot stumble. I cannot stumble. Okay. 
and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. They shall by no means enter it anything that defies. Say anything that defies. That means nothing can enter into the city. Nothing that can defy or cause an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay. Listen to this. Listen to this. Let me have your attention. If if not most important, this is one of the most important things. What can enter into the city? What can enter into the city? Here it says, There shall by no means, say no means, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So who can enter into the city? Only the believers. Only the ones who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Correct? So we are in the city. Are you in the city? Right? Are you in the city or not? If you are not in the city, let's, let's pray the Lord's prayer and get you into the city right now. Right? Okay, all those who didn't say, Amen. Okay. You are in the city, right? Who can enter into the city? Only you. Who cannot enter into the city? What else? Who else? Who else cannot enter into the city? Correct. Who else? Satan cannot enter the city, brothers and sisters. Evil cannot enter the city. You are seated with Jesus in this new city. Satan cannot enter. Is his name written in the Lamb's book of life? Are you sure? 100% sure. He cannot enter into the city. That is why the Bible says, on this mountain, the lion will lie down with the lamb. Because who, who told the lion to eat the lamb? Sin. Satan. That cause. Because God never created the lion to eat the lamb. Never. So when Satan is removed from this holy mountain, guess what happened? Went back to original. So that is why the Bible says you can take up serpents and you can drink poison and nothing shall hurt in nothing by any means shall hurt you. Why? Because why? Did he say in the New Jerusalem when we go to heaven or now? When did Jesus say, you can take up serpents, you can lay hands on the sick, you can cast out demons? Now, why? Because on this mountain, you are already in Mount Zion, nothing by any means hurt you. Because no thing of divine. So you don't have to worry about what the enemy is doing, brothers and sisters, because you are not in this world. Hallelujah. You are not in this world. Satan cannot touch you. But he said, but brother, 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 that is very easy for you to say, but I see Satan touching me every day. Do you believe this report? Or are you allowing him to have full reign over your life? Are you fellowshipping? Don't fellowship with him. He has no authority over you. So exercise your authority. He has no authority over you. He's out of your place. He cannot touch you. This kingdom, that's why the Bible says, I sanctify myself so that they will be sanctified. He's talking about separating the church from evil. How does Jesus sanctify himself? 
Jesus never sinned. Why does he have to sanctify himself? He's talking in John chapter 17. That means up till now Jesus was sinning. In John chapter 17 he says, I, I keep them away from evil for this reason. I'm going to go away and I will sanctify myself. When did he ever sin? Because sanctification is not about sin. It is about what? It's about separation. So when Jesus says, I sanctify my, myself for their sake, means what? I, I separate myself for their sake. How does Jesus separate himself for our sake? He is seated in Mount Zion, far above every principality and power at the right hand of God. So because he is seated, guess who is seated? We are seated. So because he is sanctified, sanctified means separated, we misunderstand sanctification with related to sin. Sanctification has nothing to do with sin. It has to do with separation. Say, holy of holies, right? Holy of holies means kodesh, kodeshim. doesn't mean there is no sin there. It just means that it's a separated place. Obviously there is no sin there because that's where God is. But that is the holy of holies. That's the most separated place. So God, Jesus separated himself in the heavens and therefore we are separated. Say, I am separated. Take it by faith. You are separated. You might not see yourself separated, but you are separated. Satan cannot touch you. You have to believe this report. Okay, keep reading. And then he says, by no means, and then keeps reading and says, and he showed a pure river of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the street where, and on each side of the river where tree of life with 12 fruits. Who is this tree of life? It is Jesus. Correct? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who eats me will have life. He who does not eat me. Look at the word he used. Eat me. He who does not eat my flesh and drink my blood shall have no part in me. Correct? So he said, he's very clear. You have to eat Jesus. So that's why he's in the midst. Where does it say? Does he? It's in the midst. Verse two. In the in the middle of the street. Okay. And there were, there shall be no more curse. Is there curse here? No. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and the servant shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on the forest. Can you see his face right now? Be sure can. The Bible says, "We I'll be with you a little time. The world shall not see me, but." You shall see me and I will make myself manifest to you. Then one disciple said, how is it that you will make us manifest to us but not to the world? He says, he who keeps my commandments, I, my father, will come and live with him. See, he defines manifestation and seeing his face as living with him. So Jesus now lives with you. You see his face and his, his name is on our foreheads. There shall be no light, night there. They, they need no lamp, no light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. These words are faithful and true. Again, faithful and true. And the Lord said, Okay, behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy. And keep looking at this. I'm sorry, I'm going too deep because there is a little bit more truth in this passage about uh, uh, the church. Again. And I, John, saw and heard these things and I heard and saw. I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me all these things. Why is he worshipping this angel? Because he's so overwhelmed. He says, this is so good. This is so good. 
He's like, he's so filled with gratitude that he worships the angel. <laughs> and the angel says, oh, no, 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 don't do that. He says, and he said, see that you don't do this, for I am your fellow servant. Angels are your fellow servants in this new Jerusalem. And the Bible says that we were created, we were created a little lower than Elohim. In some passages, a little lower than angels. But now, angels. The Bible says in Hebrews, For he does not give the world to come subject to angels, but to men. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know whether we have time to go through it. In the world to come, this world is subject to angels. But the world to come, the world we live in, is not subject to angels. That means you, you have authority in New Jerusalem over angels. They serve you because you are sons of God, made in the same class of Yeshua, seated with Jesus on his throne, hidden with Jesus in him. God has dwelling in you. Wow, this is, this is, they shall be one even as we are one. Oh, I, I don't have time to go through this. The Bible class uh, uh, clarifies oneness as not being same, but oneness being one in each other. That is why Jesus says, they shall be one just as we are one. I in you and you in me and I in them. Did you get it? So Jesus says, they shall be one. The, you know, when, when we heard in churches, oh, God wants all the believers to be one. Means we should all have the one opinion, one worship, one thing. No, no. That is not how Jesus defines oneness in John chapter 17. He says, he's talking about oneness in terms of being hidden in Christ Jesus. He says, just as we are one, how is Jesus and the Father one? Are they the same? Is Jesus and the Father same? No. They are do isn't it fun? I just got. We just got. I just. God was just showing me this week to me. He said, Anil, is Jesus and me same?" I said, "No, you are different, right? The Father is Father, the Son is Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They are all the same. They are separate." But he says, "Then how is it that I tell you that hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one?" He said, "Yes. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Where did I define oneness? John chapter seventeen. There he defined oneness as being just as you, the Father is in me, and I in you, and I in them. Hallelujah! So guess what? We are now one with God and the Father. Not because we are the Father, or not because we are Jesus. No! Because Jesus is in us, and we are in Jesus. Does this, is it sound strange? Hey, is it a, it's a unique Arrangement that God has predestined even long before for you to be blessed. So that when Satan looks at you, not Satan, now when you are judged, if God has to judge you, he has to judge whom? Why? No. Because we are in him. Christ in us is the hope of glory. See, what is the hope in our life? Is How can I get up in the morning not knowing that if I mess up today, if I don't kill someone in an anger, if 
anybody curse somebody. How can I be sure about my next 24 hours? I can be sure because I am in Christ Jesus. Only because of that hope I can live tomorrow, isn't it? And God says, I am one in Christ Jesus. You see, oneness? Oneness is not sameness. Oneness is Christ in us. God in us. Father living in us. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We will make our residence with Him. Jesus, what? Who can even think of this idea, this arrangement? God living in us? And by virtue of that, making us perfect? See, we are perfect by virtue of us being in Jesus. So do you have to constantly strive each day? Let me ask you this question. Let's see how you answer this. Do you have to strive each day to be in Christ Jesus? How many of you agree that you have to strive each day to be in Jesus? We don't have to. Who put us in Him? He put us in Him. He says, the Bible says in Revelation, in, to the church of Philadelphia, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of God. Now you understand the temple. Who is the temple? Jesus Christ. Make sense? I'll make you a pillar in the temple. So you don't think you're like one like solid. No, you're a pillar means you're like, you're, why is pillar important in the temple? What is the, what, what, what quality affirms a pillar? It, it may or may not bear weight. It doesn't It doesn't move. Unshakable! Can a pillar move out of the temple? That's what he's saying to the Philadelphia church. I'll make you a pillar in the temple and you shall go out no more. Isn't it? Clarified it. Clarified it. Clarified it, right? You are Sushil, you are a temple in the temple in the church of God. You are a temple. You are a, you are a pillar in the church of God, right? He calls Peter, James, and John pillars in the house of God, correct? You are a pillar. Are you a pillar by virtue of what you have done? Or by virtue of the fact that God has assured you that you cannot, you cannot go out of my temple? God has, God has assured that you cannot be moved out of my temple because you are my pillar. Hey, guess what? You are stuck. <laughs> Hallelujah, you are stuck. The pillar has no choice. You are stuck. You have no choice whether to go in and out. That, do you want to see? I don't have time. Go and read the letter to the Philadelphia church. I'll make you a pillar in my house and you shall go out no more. I'll make you a pillar in my house because you are good and decorative. I'll make you a pillar in the house because you are beautiful to look at. I'll make you a pillar in the house because my sheep can lean on you. I'll make you a pillar in my house because you can feed many people. No! I'll make you a pillar in the house for whose benefit? Psalmist says, I desire. What does it say? Come on. I desire. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Do you remember that verse? 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. What is he talking about? He's talking about this church in Jesus Christ. I would rather be a doorkeeper. You know, Joshua never could go into the tabernacle, but he sat at the uh, door of the tabernacle and by just by sitting at the door, he received victories and ministries. How much more, brothers and sisters, you who are planted in the Holy of Holies as a pillar. How many Jerichos can stand before you? What prosperity, what wealth, what supply by being a pillar in the house of God? Hallelujah. For whose benefit are you a pillar? My own benefit. So that Lord make me a pillar, I don't have to go out anymore. Because if the Bible says Malakaya, who is the one who said, send the people to their own house because I see the people as a sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that? Hey, if you don't have a shepherd, go home. <laughs> if you don't have a shepherd, go home. You know what? I have a shepherd. I'm going nowhere. <laughs> I am in the temple and he is my shepherd and therefore there will be no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no all supplies me. Now, do you believe this report? Do you believe from this day onwards I will bless you? Are you ready to be blessed? I'm telling you, are you ready to be shaken, Biju? Good! I like it! I like it! You know why you're ready to be shaken? To be filled! To be filled. Are you ready to be shaken? But not to be moved. Right? Okay. Okay, keep reading. The good part is still here. Do you believe that the good part is still there? Okay, there is the good part. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keep the words of the prophecy of the book. What is the word? These are good words, isn't it? Did you just read good words? What words are these? Can you keep these words? Sure. When I believe Jesus Christ, I believe this report, I keep the words. Of the prophecy. Isn't that good words? Alkesh, is this good words or not? These are real good words. Are you going to be blessed because you keep these words? You just tell me about the church. The beautiful bride that you are. This is you. Look at you. How beautiful you are. This is how you look to God. Completely perfect, stable with precious stones. That's how you look at it. Perfect. He measured you, by the way. Mitchell. He kind of just, just to show off. He said, just measure him up. That's what the angel did. Did the angel wanted to show off how perfect the city is? Sure, he wanted to show off to John. Hey, look who you, how perfect you are. Because he is the temple, isn't it? John is the temple, isn't it? And he says, just measure him, measure him, measure him. Just measure him. Hey, guys, get a, get a ruler and just measure John. And John is like, oh. Hey, perfect, perfect. Length, breadth, height, all perfect. You know, I mean, physically you don't want to be length, breadth, God forbid, Biju, if you are late, breath and height are equal. <laughs> I think we are getting there, right? As more prosperity comes in, length, breath, height will all be equal, right? <laughs> but that's what prosperity does to you, right? You'll become a pillar. You'll become a pillar. <laughs> pillar in, in fact, uh, uh, after Mala, 
Malachi says, stall fed cattle. <laughs> That's what he calls us. He calls us prosperous people, stall fed cattle. I mean, stall fed, good. Cattle, no. <laughs> okay, is that good? Okay, the good part, good part, good part. And I, John, saw and heard this voice and I fell down at his feet to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, see that you do not do this. Hold it, hold it. Don't do it. Because things have changed in the city. The world to come is not subject to angels. It is subject to you. Because it is subject to a man, Christ Jesus. And all things are under his feet. So we are now servants of you. Okay? Listen to it. For I am your fellow servant and not just of you and of your brother and the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book worship God is thank God praise God because he's so filled with gratitude of what he's just seen he's just seen what has John seen John has seen an eternity and a salvation and a hope that is so secure no amount of false teaching and theology and junk can shake him up. And he's so filled with gratitude for what he's just said, right? Yeah, and the angel says, worship God. He's saying, just thank God. Right? Don't worry about what preachers say, I'm telling you. Don't worry about what preachers say and teachers teach you. Blessed are you if you keep the words of this book. I'm telling you, because you have, you see a lot of here, a lot of junk teaching. But please, children, I'm, I'm calling you children because I just feel the anointing. Don't listen to junk. Listen to what God's word says. And today I've taken a lot of time to break down where you are in Christ Jesus. And I don't want you to go by all man's words. This is not a man's invention, this business of Mount Zion. It's not man's invention. It's not man's idea. Man cannot even think about this thing. It's not human. I mean, who gives us unmerited favor? Who does it? Which man does it? How do you even write this thing? There's no scope for man's pride in this. Do you see any place where you can see man's where man can boast, he says, he who thirsts, I will freely give. That's the only qualification. Really? Thirst? <laughs> will a man ever write this? Thirst and follow these seven steps. You know? <laughs> Learn how to swim before you can call me. You know? Set your life in order, brother. What is this? Every time I have to rescue you out of this fire? There's no scope. Thirst. Cry out every time. Abba. Here we go. Amen. Hallelujah. Good. Okay. Still not at the good part. Still not at the good part. Worship God. And he said to me, Ah, look at that, what he says. He says, Do not seal the words of this prophecy. Don't, don't shut it up. Don't, don't. What does it mean? Don't seal it. That means what? Don't seal it means. Yeah, let everybody know this. Don't hide this. It's good. Isn't it good? It's good. It's good, isn't it? Don't seal these words. Don't seal these words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. Because the time is at hand because the believers are getting into the kingdom of God every day. This church is growing. This temple is growing. People are growing. People are getting people into this temple every day. He says, don't, the time is at hand, it is here. Because the Bible, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. Isn't it? When he arrived, he said, it's here. It's come. So the time is at hand. It's already here. So are we in this time? Yes. So don't seal it. This is it. Okay. 
کاری سیف نیست ابھی شان و شباس یار بیکاز سم تھنگ گڈ وی ڈونٹ وانٹ اینی بڈی ٹو مس اٹس سو گڈ اٹس سو گڈ یو وانٹ ہیئر یو ہیو ٹو سٹینڈ اپ اوکے ہی ہو از انجسٹ لیٹ ہم بی انجسٹ سٹل ہی ہو از فلٹی لیٹ ہم بی فلٹی سٹل ہی ہو از رائچس لیٹ ہم بی رائچس سٹل ہی ہو از ہولی Let him be holy still. I cannot stop shouting. Why? He says, he is filthy. You cannot do anything to become unfilthy. If you are, if you are unjust, you cannot do anything to be justified. If you are righteous, you cannot do nothing to be unrighteous. Hallelujah. You can do nothing, brothers and sisters, to be unrighteous because if Christ has given you the righteousness, You cannot be unrighteous. You cannot. He who is righteous, let him be unrighteous still. If God says from heaven, if you are righteous, let him be righteous still. That's the word that is spoken. Cannot be changed. And he says what? He who is holy, let him be holy still. That means what? If you have been planted in this city of New Jerusalem which is called what? Holy city or holy mountain. Why is it called holy? Because no undefiled thing can enter. Make sense? It is separated. It has nothing to do with sin. Make sense? It's like you're separated from evil. Because we started with John chapter 17 God Jesus said keep them from evil. That's why he starts this whole passage of mountain. Isn't it? So he says he who is holy let them be Means you are forever, sister, sister, forever, forever you are holy, forever you are holy. Isn't that cool? Whose words is that? Faithful and true. Stop. <laughs> it's like it's like getting on a train and trying to run because you might reach for faster. Take your seat, Rajesh. Take your seat. I'm sorry. It's not serious. <laughs> <laughs> you know something? You know something? It's called the pun. Unintended. <laughs> you know, you're in the train. Stop running. Why waste your time? Who are you impressing? Stop and just take your seat. Sit down. For Christ's sake. <laughs> you know? Or say, or you can't say for Christ's sake. For your sake. Right? Because you're going to get tired. Just sit down and enjoy the ride. Because you cannot make yourself unholy. You cannot make yourself unrighteous. See, when I read that verse for many, many years before, that condemned me. Today, with revelation knowledge, when you read it, does that not help you? You see that thing? Does it make sense? Do you see it or you don't see it? You see it? Do you see it? Because that is the best part of this mountain. He who is holy will always be holy. Cannot be changed. You are on my holy mountain. You, no spouse, no husband, no wife can mess it up. But my, my husband is messing up and he's thinking all these stupid things. And my wife is like, I can't. I, I don't. Hold on. You're holy. The Bible says he, a believer, is that an unbeliever is sanctified by a believer. Look at the power of that holiness. 
it even goes ahead and starts sanctifying, it separates the unbeliever for righteousness. Never happened in the old covenant. Remember we just studied in the old covenant? Holy, unclean. Gone, you're unclean. But in the new covenant, the Bible says, when a believer marries an unbeliever, the unbeliever is sanctified because of the believer. Hold it. Am I reading? When I first read it, it was like, hey, are you sure this Paul is not getting these extra biblical revelations? <laughs> it's like Paul, Paul writing, right? Sometimes you look at Paul and he's like, sometimes he just goes all over. That's what Peter says. People, Paul, people read Paul and they turn it to their own destruction. Because <laughs> you know? <laughs> they don't understand Paul. Because Paul has got this revelation of heaven and of this grace and this goodness that God is now giving to all of us, right? Through his scripture, right? Hebrews is written by Paul. And he's showing us and we are now getting it after so many years. Paul got all this revelation and God is... And he's like, oh, a believer can be unsatisfied. Like, seriously? Why? Because it's, your holiness is so powerful right now. You see the power of this holiness? Holiness is not righteousness. It makes sense? What is holiness? What is holiness? Separation. Praise God. Behold. Okay, there you go. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give each one according to his work. There you go, the Bimatos. He rewards us. I am the Aleph and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the first and the last. That means of all that you speak, I, you cannot mess it up, because I am the Aleph and the Ta. Of all that you do, you cannot mess it up, because I am the, I am the, I am the beginning and the end. I am the beginning of your works and I am the end of your works. You, you cannot mess it up by what you do. You cannot mess it up by who you are. I am the first and the Last, because what, what's, up, what's about with you? What's happened to you? You are in him. So he is the first and he is the last. So guess what? So I am the first and I am the last. I can never be anywhere. I will always be in Christ Jesus. So as a person we are protected. As our words we are protected. In our doings we are protected. Because of what Jesus is. Isn't that cool? Because we are hidden in him. Blessed are those who do his commandments. What's commandment? Believe in Jesus as the truth, as, the, as your savior, as your way. And they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Great gates is very popular. That means God allows you to come because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ through a gate. Gate, nobody could enter the gates in the old covenant. No way. Because only a righteous man can enter through the gate. But because now you are in Christ Jesus. You know how we came into the kingdom? Not through a gate. We came into the kingdom through the door. The door is where there is no judgment. Gates in the Old Testament where the judges used to sit. We bypassed the gates and found a door. And that door is called Jesus. And we entered it by him. So nobody sees us. So they see Jesus walking in through the eastern door and the outer door. So they don't see us. Because if we come in through the gate, we are judged. But because we came through the door, we are, where are we? Where are we? We are inside the temple, in the Holy of Holies. Isn't that cool? That's why Jesus never said, I am the gate. He never said, I am the gate. He said, I am the door. That's why Noah's ark had a door. And Noah went in through the door. And the Bible, Jesus says, when the judge of the world will close the 
door. Because that salvation is through the door, not through the gate. Gate means you have to be perfect. You have to keep all the law. You're righteous, then you get it. But Jesus is here. If you, if you keep my commandments, which is you believe in Jesus, that's a commandment, very clear. He says, you can come through the gate into the city. Because now we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ for the first time. Not possible otherwise. Isn't that good? Unjudged. We can go through the door, gate. It's very interesting. I'll give you a little bit of a nugget. When the temple, this is so good. I just found it two weeks back, two or one week back. When the temple was opened, in the old covenant, when the temple was opened and anybody could see into the holy of Hades, what happened? The people died, right? Yeah. Right. Nobody. What was the whole business of the temple? Was to hide what? You see, remember the whole temple was multi-layers to hide something. What was the hide something in the center? No. no. The ark was a container to hide something more. What was that? <laughs> the holy of the holies. The ark is inside the holy of holies. There is a layer. By the way, you need to have the structure of the temple. There is the outer court, the inner court. Right? By the way, the gates are called the, 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 the way, the truth, the life. Did you know that in the Hebrew? Oh, there's a beautiful. We'll talk about the temple once. One day we'll do the temple. It's all about Jesus. This is this whole thing is Jesus, right? So in the temple, then it's the inner inner court, and inside the inner court is the most holy, which is separated by a the veil. Correct. The veil is called the Bible is called the the body of Jesus Christ. Correct. That's how it's called. The body is called the body. That means you had to pierce through the veil to get into the. Holy of Holies. That means nobody could get into the veil unless paid the price. So Jesus became the price and his body was pierced. Therefore, the, when he died, the body was broken. But because it was finished, because we studied in Psalms 18. How many of you remember Psalms 18 now forever? What happened on the cross, right? So we could now go in. That's why the curtain was split. Not after three days. Then. Because now we could have access. Work was done. Finished. Done. Go. Zion was born. Oh, this is so good. Man. So... We go into the Holy of Holies and then we see this Ark of the Covenant. It's got container. Stop at the mercy seat. Inside the mercy seat is three objects of uh, sin. Uh, no, let's, let's start with the first one. First, first is the Ten Commandments. Don't forget the Ten Commandments. Rajesh, Ten Commandments, man. First, first Ten Commandments before you go to the rod. Sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm just, you all forget the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, the manna. Manna. Aaron's rod that blossom. So, first is the Ten Commandments, correct? The two tablets, Ten Commandments, God says, put it down. Why? Because the first time the Ten Commandments was brought into the camp, what happened? Yeah. Judgment fell, people died. Second time, God told Moses to make the second Ten Commandments. He told, don't take it down to the camp. Just hide it in this ark. Why? Because cover it with the Moses sheet. Because I don't want it to go into the ark uh, camp again. Because when... Ten Commandments goes into the camp. Guess what? It's like a measuring rule. It measures you. Ting, 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 ting. Everybody looks into it. It's like, sin, 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 sin. That's why when Jesus started writing on a stone pavement in the, before the adulteress, everybody started walking away. Why? What was he writing on the pavement? Stone, pavement, stone, pavement, writing on stone. What is he writing? The law. He's the one who gave the law. So everybody started looking at the law. It's like, one, two, three, pape, God, one, two, one, pape, God, one, one, two, one. 
after some time, don't even go, man. Just go. <laughs> like, that's what Lord does, you know. So the younger guys are like, no, no, one, two, three, four, five, six. You know, they're like the rich young man. Which, which are commandments? Come on, come on. Just give me which commandments. And Jesus gives him how many, you know, this is so fun. That's the thing about Bible study. We can just go to church all these places. He gives him six commandments. Why does he give six? It's a sign of? Six is a sign of? Man's, man's efforts. He says, okay, I'll give you six. How about it? So he gives him all the six. When he pretends as if he's done all that. He didn't do that. He messed up. But he says, hey, Jesus says, okay, no problem. He says, okay, you kept all six. But one thing you lack. Because the law doesn't need you to keep all six and fail all the seven. No, no, no. Law just... Law, law is very clear in Deuteronomy. So don't please take the book of Deuteronomy and go through blessings and curses. Stick with the lessons. Don't even go to the curses side. Because there's no point going there. Because the, the curse said, any, everyone who does not keep all of the law shall be cursed. Make sense? All of the law. So the Ten Commandments was the biggest revenue. God says, put it in the ark. Make sense? So it's like, put it in the ark. So, so he says, you can either come through the law or you can come through Jesus. Jesus. You want to keep the law like the young man wanted to? He couldn't get in, right? That's why Jesus told him, it's very hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Why? No rich man can enter into heaven. You know something? Hey, by the way, let me give you a revelation. No rich man. Okay, let me make it dumb it down even further. Do you have money? Suja, do you have money? <laughs> Suja, come on, man. Don't shame Biju, man. I know. Come on, you're not... Or we can, we, can, we can take an offering for you. <laughs> if you have money, you cannot make it into the kingdom of God. Why? Because if you have money, it proves to you that you are not willing to give all your money to the poor so that you don't love your neighbor as yourself. Done. Babe. Cannot enter. So Jesus said, it is impossible for a rich man to enter. All the disciples, for, for a long time, they thought they made it. But after that incident, they're like, they started murmuring among themselves, you know, who they can be saved. I'm like, going to do all this three years of ministry, just a total waste of time out here. <laughs> On the shores of Galilee, going to Canada, going down the river. None of us can make it, Peter. John, no way. You cannot make it. You have money, right? Do you have money or not? You have money. Go, you cannot make it. Some guys are partners in a business. <laughs> James, John, Zebedee. The guys are like entrepreneurs. No way you can make it. Matthew, tax no way. The guy is plenty rich. But who can make it? Judas? Out of the question. I mean, he is so rich that he loots other people to become more rich. I mean, everybody is rich. Nobody can make it. So they are like desperate right now. So Jesus kind of overhears it. Who then can be saved? Jesus says, with men it is? Come on, repeat after me. With men it is? With men it is? But not with? With God, or with God, what is possible? Yeshua is possible. See, Yeshua is only possible with God and His Son. So you either you can come through the law, impossible. He says, put it in. So you can either come through the law, Ten Commandments, or you have to come through. That's why he says, you know, very interesting, and uh, we'll close with this. There are three rebellions that Jude or James Jude or James, one of them mentions. It's called 
two treasons, and he warns believers, everybody on these treasons. It's very powerful. This I just got it last week, a week or a week before. And God says, these three exactly match the three things in the ark. It's so powerful. Let, let me say, so exciting. It says, the way of Cain. The way of Cain was, I don't want to go through the blood of a lamb. I want to go through my works, the law. I don't want to, I want to give salad dressing. I want to show my works of my hands. I want to prove what I did rather than the blood of the lamb. I don't want to take the lamb. The Bible says, Jesus says, a sin offering is crouching at the door. Sin offering is a lamb is sitting at your door. Ha! Ah, interesting. Where is the lamb? Isn't that good? Where is the lamb? At the? Where is the Passover lamb to be put? On the? You entered and saved through the? And Cain was offered that. We said, we, we always thought that Cain was, Cain did what was right. No, Cain did wrong. He knew that he had to offer a lamb. He, he needs Jesus. No, everybody needs Jesus. Abraham needs Jesus. Cain needs Jesus. Adam needs Jesus. Everybody needed blood. Even they were clothed. Their first clothing was with blood. You had to be blood. So he says, either you go through the law or shed a blood. So he said, no, I want to go through the law. Guess what happened? He couldn't make it, right? He says, beware of the way of Cain. So that's the way of Cain. The law is the way of Cain. Say the way of Cain. The second is called the error of Balaam. Do you know Balaam? It's in Jude. In Jude. The error of Balaam. You know what Balaam did? Oh, this is very powerful. Good man. You all are attentive and you all are listening and soaking it because I can see the spirit teaching you. The error of Balaam is Balaam was called by a king, Balak, who is a half past six prophet. You know, I mean, doesn't do all the best things and Half, sometimes some prophecies come to pass, but he was more like a wizard, curse people, and wizard, Gentile wizard, yeah. or like a witch, what do you call it? So this king Balak, and this, this guy is like a powerful guy. Things happen when he does stuff. You know? So Balak calls him and tells him to curse Israel, and he takes him to various mountains to them to see, see, and curse. This witchcraft, there's a lot of this business of you have to see and stuff like that. I mean, we don't want to go into it. And then, so he called him to curse. So he says that's an error of Balaam. Balaam, error of uh, Balaam for prophet. Very interesting. So what he was doing for the sake of money, Balaam was doing this for money, correct? For the sake of money, he was cursing a people or using words to curse things that God has blessed. And God says, don't do that. So I'm like, Jesus, how does it make sense? How does that make sense? He says, look at what was the second object in the ark. What was the second object? Pot of manna. When was the pot of manna put into the ark? Because what happened was when manna fell, God told them, collect manna on six days, but on the seventh day, rest. Because the six days harvest will cover your seven days uh, day. So, and then in the day of manna, he says, God has given you manna. This is, and we studied this in one of our life a long time back. You should go and there's a message there. Are you working or resting? Yeah, I think it's on the website. You can listen to that. He says, God has given you manna so that God might test you that whether you will live, that man shall not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you see this? So, so God gave the manna to prove that man, God shall, man shall not live by manna. Doesn't make sense, right? It's counter logic. God gives the manna so that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Doesn't make sense. God should give manna to prove to you that you can live by manna. Right? But God says God gave you manna so that you can live. To prove to you that you cannot live by man alone, but you have to live by every word that proceeds out from the mouth of God. Do you hear it? Did you get it? Why? That means it doesn't matter whether manna comes from heaven, but if you don't listen to my voice, and if you don't rest on the day that I tell you to rest, you will? You, you, it will stink with worms. And there will be death in the camp. Correct? Right? Because it is not the manner that falls from heaven that matters. It is what the instruction I gave you that you can live by. Because if I tell you, rest today and I will provide for you, then you can trust me with that and you don't have to work. Why is it so important for God? This, why is this rebellion so important to God? Because Jesus used that same verse when the enemy came to him and told him in the wilderness, he said, if you are the son of God, Right? If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replied saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out from the mouth of God. Why? Because wasn't that a wilderness? Correct? Wasn't there a need for bread? Correct? Can he be provided by uh, turning the stones into bread? Sure he cannot. But he said that, I am not going to do that because that will make me prove that I don't believe what God just said. And what did God just say? Just before that incident was he was on the river Jordan where a voice just came from heaven. We just read it today. Where he said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Look at the words. You are my beloved son. Did Satan use the word beloved? No. If you are the son of God. He never wants to let you know that you are beloved. Correct? That's how he can get you temptation. Temptation only comes in your life when he can get you to feel that you are not beloved of the Lord. So he drops that, right? And he says, if you are, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God, so Satan is making God, Jesus doubt whether God is his beloved, he, he is his beloved son of a good father and the father is pleased in him. Correct? He's making him doubt that. Jesus says, I have to live by that. Satan, you don't realize this. I don't care that that is right. But if I can just believe that, what my father just told me, just a day back, on the Jordan, if I can believe that love, remember that love, which says that I have loved you before the foundation of the world, before I made any heaven, no earth, no anything, things are born, things are If I can just believe that love, guess what I can do? I can live! I don't need food to live. I can live on that love. Why? That love will produce everything for me. How does that relate to the, the error of Bala? Because God, remember God twisted this guy's words and started blessing. And this is what the blessing, you should go and read it. It says, I see Israel scattered and beautifully all, uh, not, not scattered, camped before me. How can I bless 
and I don't see iniquity in Jacob. Wow! God is saying, looking at Israel, at a time when they are rebellious, they are murmuring, they are complaining, they are making mess. God looks at them from the top, his view, and says, what does he see in them? I see no iniquity in Jacob. But weren't they sinners? But why God doesn't see iniquity in Jacob? Because they are sacrificing the lamb every day, the morning, evening and night. The evening sacrifice, the morning sacrifice. And what is going on before Jesus, before God? A sweet aroma of the righteousness of his son before him. So when he sees him, he sees them righteous and perfect. And he says, do you believe what I see? Or do you have to live by your own efforts? And Balaam wanted to use words which don't match with what God sees about you. So as a believer, remember this. Don't fall for the error of Balaam. Error of Balaam is what? I don't believe what God thinks about me. God sees me righteous and perfect, but no, I am going to prove it to myself that I am righteous and perfect. You are going to fall into error. The error of Balaam. The error of Balaam. Very dangerous. Very, it's very subtle. Don't live by God, your validation about yourself. You live by God's validation about you. Did you just read today how good God thinks about you? Do you believe that words? Right? Believe that. Don't try to prove it with your efforts. Don't try to prove it with profit. Trying to do with your ways. Means don't discount God's words. Say don't discount. So just like in the manna, the pot of manna, what did they do? They discounted God's word. They didn't believe that on the seventh day there would be double portion. portion. Do you believe this good report that there will be double portion on the rest day? Who is your Sabbath right now? Jesus Jesus is your Sabbath, right? All good things happen on a Sabbath for you, right? Jesus is your Sabbath, so you rest in here. So don't, don't get up and start working on a Sabbath. If you do it, manna. That means you don't believe what Jesus, God told about you. So do you believe that? Can you rest? Are you anxious? Or do you want to get up and start prophesying about your own life? Don't do that. Don't prophesy. Let me read. This is the Spirit of God tells. Don't prophesy about your own life. Prophesy about what God thinks about you. Confess His words about you. Don't prophesy. How do you prophesy? When you say stupid things about yourself. I never make this in my life. I always goof up. Hey, this is all. Hey, this is like, brother, sister, this area, man, I am very weak in this. Prophesy, prophesy. Why are you prophesying these stupid things? Sometimes, you know, me and Milo, and most, many times we correct each other. It's like, seriously, use your words. You're a priest and a king. Why are you prophesying? That's the error of Allah. You're trying to say something that God does not say. Make sense? The error of Allah. Be very careful of it. And the third thing, what is the third thing? The the rebellion of Korah. What is the rebellion of Korah? Korah said, hey, Aaron is not the high priest. It's a rebellion. That means, it's very powerful. Rebellion is very powerful. He says, as believers, are you under authority? Yes or no? Yes. Because the Bible says, John, Paul says, every, say every, soul is under authority. And all authority is being placed by God. For they are welfare. It says for they are good. They are ministers for good. Say ministers for good. I am telling you, this is powerful. I am telling you, because this, I got this revelation just last week. It says, this authorities have been placed in a believer's life 
for your good. Say for my good. So you, when I say that, the immediate implication is God wants to chasten me, discipline me, make me under control. No! That's what you thought, right? That's how, that's how man thinks, right? That's not how God thinks. God placed Joseph in authority under Pharaoh. For what purpose? No! He did! But before he, he could deliver his nation, what happened to him? Pharaoh blessed Joseph for his benefit. He subjected himself to authority. So every place he went, he went into Potiphar's house, he remained under the authority of Potiphar. He never violated his authority. Did it benefit him? Yes. When he went into the prison, he remained under the authority of the prison keeper. Did it benefit him? Yes. When he went under the Pharaoh, did he rebel against the Pharaoh? Did he was subject under authority? Did it benefit him? Yes. How did it benefit him? Pharaoh made him the ruler of all of Egypt. Isn't that? See, the Pharaoh was a benefit to him. God places us under authority for our benefit. Say benefit. For our good. Paul said this. Every soul. Say every soul. He's under authority. Every soul. I'm telling you children. Children, I, I know you're calling you children. I don't know why I'm calling you children today. But I'm saying is, God is teaching us stuff, right? You're children under his feet, right? He's saying this. You want to be blessed in your workplace? You want to be blessed? You want your boss to bless you? Be under authority. Because God is using that boss to bless you. He's using it. You don't see it. They have no idea that they're, they're going to... They will end up blessing you. But you have to say, you know something? Jesus... Was he under authority to anybody? Come on, come on. Yes. Was Jesus who? Okay. Everybody is under authority to God. But to a man. To, yes, he was subject to his parents. Correct? Was he blessed? Yes. When he grew up, was he subject to somebody? Come on. He Was he under authority in his ministry? Come on. Think, think, think. When did... Jesus. Yes! You know, when did Jesus' ministry take off? When he decided to be baptized by a human being. When John said, seriously, I need to be baptized by you and you are coming to me. And Jesus said what? You know, what did Jesus did not say? And that would be the question. He did not say. That's right. Get down into the pool. Mr. Baptist, I'll show you how baptism is done. <laughs> I was, I am before Abraham. You know, you know Abraham? Much before. <laughs> he said, no, no, let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. All righteousness means, means all righteousness means, all righteousness means even the righteousness that comes by being subject authority. Isn't that cool? And immediately his blessings start to flow. Every soul is under authority. You cannot, oh believer, I'm a believer, I'm free. Nobody needs to teach me anything. God, God says no, negative, take. I'm a gentle boss. God says no, don't worry. He's been put there to bless you. Be subject to him. Be subject to him. Be subject to him. Be subject to him. All authority. So the rebellion of Korah it's serious. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool how Jude's three 
know that the Holy Spirit just showed for a couple of weeks back. He said, I didn't see. It's the same three things I told. Because Aaron's rod budded. Because Korah said, he's the priest. He's not a priest. I don't care. God said, okay, no problem. Get everybody's rod. And then Aaron's rod budded. So God said, hey, there it's He reminds God of a rebellion of people. Don't want to be subject to authority. Isn't it very powerful? Isn't that good? Did you get something good? Man, the ark is... I love that thing. So where did we take off and why did we go there? I have no idea, what but it was good. The, huh? What is the Holy of Holies? Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, now we are in the message, in the message, in the message, in the message. Correct? That's called the shell messages. So we are in multiple messages, but... What is in there? In the Holy of Holies is the Ark. In the Ark of the Covenant is the Mercy Seat. The Mercy Seat is inside the Ark is the three objects. Three objects. Okay. These three objects. Okay. So you are saying uh, why, why was it closed? Why was it kept away from you? That was, that was your point. Correct. Oh wow. See how we got. But I think it's good. But I think we'll close it here. I was telling that since it is so dangerous to get into the Holy of Holies without Christ Jesus and God made us a way to get into this most Holy of Holies into the very heart that is above the mercy seat which is the most holy where the glory comes he says God brought us there and are we afraid of these items of judgment against us right now? No. no because we are in the mercy seat we are seated with Christ Jesus all our punishment and our rebellion is paid up and covered. So we are not afraid to be in the most holy place. And the Bible says, you are privileged to be through the gate. That's why he says, he says oh, we are still at the gate. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and secular immoral, murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices and lies. I, Jesus has sent my angel to testify to you these things in the uh, churches, I am the root and the offspring of David the, and the bright and morning star and the spirit and the bride say come and let him who hears says come and let him who thirsts come whoever desires let him come and take the water of life without charge freely how many times does it say freely and the spirit and the bride says come and let him who hears says come and that's it I testify wow and it says if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city. See, the holy city, very important, right? For God. And from the things that are written in the book. Surely, I'm coming quickly. We are perfect. Hallelujah. We are perfect, seated with Jesus in this temple, completely covered, completely protected. But more than important, anything. Do you believe from this day onwards? This day onwards. I will bless you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you get it? Why you will be blessed? Because you are in the temple. Hallelujah. From this day onwards, you are blessed. Hallelujah. You are blessed. Let the Holy Spirit remind you of everything that we studied today. I know we studied a lot of things, but go back into the scripture. Dig deep. But believe one thing if you can take away. God, Jesus has paid the ultimate price. And got you into Mount Zion forever. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And this day onwards, I will bless you. Because Jesus is in your midst. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Praise God. Let's just pray. Father, we come before your throne of grace. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. We so thank you, Lord, because your meal was so good, Jesus. Your words were so good and nourishing because we are like sheep that were scattered, but Lord, you taught us so many things because you are a good shepherd, Lord, and you are in our midst, and we don't have to go home, Lord. We are in the temple of God. Seated, crowned, and clothed. The Bible wants to remind you. The Holy Spirit wants to remind you. Let's just, just like the demon possessed man. Then he was, when the demons came out, he was clothed, seated, and in his right mind. And John in Revelation saw the elders seated, clothed, and with crowns. God says to all of you, I see my bride seated. Say seated. Seated. Clothed, clothed and crowned. And crowned. Don't ever give up that place for anybody. And you cannot. You're a pillar in the house of God. You cannot go out forever. He's, enam he's enamored you with his love. He's gathered you. And he is in your midst. So rejoice, says the Lord. And get ready. To be shaken, to be filled, says the Lord. For the days are coming when the glory of the latter house as the world sees in you, they will envy for the wealth of the Gentiles and the glory is coming into you, says the Lord. And camels and dromedaries from the east are going to come with their goodness and their bounties to fill you up. Because you are seated with me, says the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray right now for every brother and sister and all our children, oh Lord, right now. All our children. But the Bible says they are the descendants of the blessed of the Lord. No longer will you, they say, produce children for trouble. Isaiah chapter 54 is a promise to all the blessed of the Lord who are on Mount Zion. No longer will they have children for trouble. No longer. For they shall be the blessed, the, sorry, they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring. Hallelujah. Our children's children are going to be blessed because we are of the house of the Lord. We are in Mount Zion. We are seated with Him. We are in heavenly places. No unclean thing will defile the city. Nothing can enter the city for nothing can take us away. For we are blessed, protected, where our warfare is ended and our swords are into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks and therefore there is no pain no sorrow, no suffering, no crying, says the Lord. For a king is in our midst. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we bless you. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sushil, the Lord says, from this day onwards, from this day onwards, I will bless you. Is there wine? Is there wine on the wine? Is there pomegranate? Is there fig on the fig tree? Is there? Is there? Is the harvest that you see in there? But God says, for mark this day, says the Lord. From this day onwards, I will bless you. From this day onwards, I'll bless you. This says him who is faithful and true. Not because of what you've done, but because of who says that to you. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Get ready to be filled, says the Lord. Get ready to be filled. Filled with my thoughts for you. 
Don't go, the Bible says, and God says, don't go by the error of Bana. Don't confess things over your life that the enemy has spoken. Confess what I see about you. Beautiful, perfect, holy, and complete, says the Lord. So confess that, says the Lord, for out of your mouth. Hallelujah. Oh, Father Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord reminds all of us, says, I, Joseph, put the silver cup in the mouth of Benjamin's son. Benjamin was the brother of, the only brother of Joseph from the mother, Rebecca. Our brother is Jesus Christ. And he has put the silver cup into the mouth of the sack of Benjamin. And we are Benjamins. We are the younger brother of Joseph who is Jesus. And God, Jesus has put the silver cup into our mouth. What does that mean? God says, proclaim my redemption over every area of your life. Don't have to drink this cup again. Like the disciples said, can you, can you, Jesus answered, can you drink this cup that I'm going to drink in? And they said, yes. Jesus knew that they couldn't drink that cup. But Jesus said, yes, you will drink the cup. But he's not talking about the cup that Jesus was going to drink. Because they're going to drink out of the cup of redemption. The empty cup. The cup that Jesus has already drunk. Jesus says, Sucha, drink from that cup of the price that Jesus, your Savior, has paid. Let that be on your lips and on your mouth. That I don't have to pay the price for everything. Jesus has paid the price. He has drunk the cup. I have an empty cup to drink from. Say empty cup. I will drink an empty cup, says the Lord. Drink an empty cup. The cup that has been finished by my son. So that you don't have to suffer, but you proclaim the redemption with your mouth. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Master. Sing a song of redemption, church. Sing a song of redemption out from your mouth. Sing his glory. Sing his power. Sing his perfection of the bride of Christ. Don't measure yourself. God has already measured you and found you complete. Why measure yourself again and again? I will measure you with a golden rule. And you are complete. So rejoice and be glad. And enjoy the ride. For get ready. For the shaking that's happening in the world is to shake off the gold that they have to hand it over to you. So do you have space to accommodate it? Receive it, says the Lord. Receive it. Are there bondages? And uh, doors that are closed on you? Lord says, I'm going to shake open all those doors that have been shut before you. Did you? God says, the door that has been shut uh, over your life, I declare a shaking that will shake open that door in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Open door now in Jesus' name. Anybody who's looking for open doors, I want you to take hold of this word. Open doors now. Shake. Now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We worship you. We thank you. No more sing the song of Habakkuk. For this day onwards, I will bless you, Sister. I will make you write the high bills of Jacob. Because you have respected my Sabbath. And you refuse to move your feet on a Sabbath. You refuse to work. You refuse to use your efforts. 
and you respect my son Yeshua. And therefore I'll make you ride the high hills of Jacob, says the Lord. High hills of Jacob. To get ready for promotion. I can sense promotions happening in this place. God says he's going to exalt people and promote them with unnatural favor in positions that they don't deserve. But God says, yes, that's it, that's it. That's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to receive unmerited favor because I am the good shepherd that makes you lie down in green pastures. So don't muddy the waters. Drink and be thirsty. Qualify yourself, says the Lord, by being thirsty every day for my goodness. Qualify yourself by being thirsty. Father, we worship you, we thank you, we bless you. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for your word. But I thank you for the word that bears much fruit in our lives. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your teaching, O Lord. Thank you because it is like manna from heaven, like dew from heaven that settles and grows and does not return void but bears much fruit in our life. And we thank you for this dew that has come down this evening time in our house. For Yeshua, for you walk in our midst and you are in our midst, O Lord, and you teach us all things because you are a good shepherd. And because you have taught us all things, now you are going to be ready to feed us. And make us lie down. And we are ready, Yeshua. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master.